And now, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Tuesday, November 7th, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 289. Make sure you subscribe to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree. It'll take the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. What's up, everybody, and welcome to our big Tuesday edition of the show today. I'm Roan. Noah's back. Yo. We've got a great slate of guests coming in. Three congressmen joining us. Andy Ogles, Ralph Norman, and Josh Burkeen will all be here. We'll also sit down with the former Deputy Assistant to President Trump. Theo Wald will join us a little bit later in the show as well. Lots of breaking news. As Donald Trump's Manhattan case spills out into the mainstream media, they're forced to cover it, and we've got all the highlights. Donald Trump also headlined the Florida Freedom Summit this weekend, and we'll bring in the highlights from there as well. And then we'll do a little news hodgepodge to round out the show. But before we get into any of the headlines, let's take it right up to Capitol Hill and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not NOM. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Stake. All right, everybody, welcome to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. I'm Roe. Noah's back. Yo. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, of course, welcome back to America's fastest-growing political podcast. That's us here and getting things started. We're up on Capitol Hill today with the congressman who's representing Tennessee 5. Really excited to be sitting down for the first time with Representative Andy Ogles. Congressman, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here. You know, steak for breakfast. You know, I'm a country boy from the South. We shoot things, and uh, I'm always ready for some good red meat, so let's go. We'll tell you We'll tell you the same way we tell every other guest that comes on this show. You ever make it out to San Diego, breakfast, lunch, and dinner are on us. Yeah, there you go. Well, thank you. So, we, we are in California, and so we, may, we may not shoot ourselves, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we redefine country gravy out here. Yeah. All right, so I briefly want to touch on the appropriations process that you guys are working on right now. Congressman, it's something that's at the forefront of a lot of Americans' minds. You know, you have the uh, impending CR. There's two ways to look at this, the long-term one, uh, which is going to get you through the holidays, also the latter one, which puts a little bit more pressure on the Senate. You know, after speaking with a bunch of our your congressional counterparts over the last few episodes of our show, it seems like they're leaning towards the latter one. But we want to get your insight and feedback on just uh, where you guys are with appropriations and, and what is next for the House of Representatives regarding it. Yeah, and to give us some background for, for your listeners, you know, so we were going through the appropriations process, then you had the motion to vacate, and we lost, you know, three to four weeks in that process. And so what it did was, you know, at that moment, the House of Representatives came to a standstill because we couldn't do anything else but elect a speaker. Now, history has uh, set the record. We now have Mike Johnson. By the way, full disclosure, uh, I'm a friend of, of, of Mike's. Uh, he's a good guy. He truly, truly loves his country. He's an evangelical. It really it guides the way he, he manages. He's a great listener. But again, I'm biased. I fully understand that because he's a friend. But that being said, is now, now we're faced with this time crunch. Whether you like it or whether you don't, this is the reality on the ground. We're, we're about to face Thanksgiving. You're going to have Christmas. When you look historically, what's happened is the the Senate has leveraged the holidays to screw America. And there's no there's no other way around it but th- just to say that. If you think about the omnibus that, that was passed previously, almost $2 trillion, I mean, that's what we'd be staring down again. So I voted against the other continuing resolutions because I didn't want to, this, this idea of business as usual, Congress is broken. The America knows Congress is broken. So we've got to change how we do things. But now the, here's the lay of the ant, land. The reality of the situation is if we don't do something, 
from a spending mechanism wise that takes us beyond Christmas. The Senate's going to try to jam us again and quite frankly, screw America the way they have been doing these last few years. And so to your point, to your question, do you do a long term? And, and to be clear, when I say long term, uh, I'm meaning January, not April. I'm meaning January or a laddered approach. I, I can I could do either one of those as long as there's something in it for America. And that 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 is the underlying kind of caveat. And when you look at, say, border security or something to lo- along the lines of border, then that's an 80, 85 percent uh, issue, even in blue districts. I mean, you've got blue mayors, blue cities saying we've had enough. Please close the border. Right. I've been to the border. I've been down to Tucson and it is wide open, baby. I literally walked into Mexico. I came back in unfettered. Technically, I think I'm an illegal, right? But you know what? I literally just walked in and I could have been carrying anything. I could have had drugs. I could have had guns. I could have had C4. I could have had people. I mean, it, I was no one was there and no one cared. And we've got to fix that. The other issue, and, and maybe it's something worth talking about, would be a, bi- a bicameral, meaning the House and the Senate a debt commission that's part of the deal uh, that truly has some tre- teeth, truly has the ability to do some work, because the two things that are going to destroy our country is the border and our debt. Now, when you talk about things like border security, and obviously it's something Chuck Schumer doesn't really want to hear too much on, even though his constituents and probably senatorial counterparts are are behind closed doors telling him the opposite. Obviously, Joe Biden has no idea what's going on on the southern border. He hasn't been there and obviously doesn't care. And then you talk about Alejandro Mayorkas. We saw you guys light him up in a congressional committee uh, many times over the course of this year. The Senate had their way with you know him and Christopher Ray last week. And it's, it's one of those things, I think that goes back to what just is uh, probably equally as important as the appropriations process is the border security and then you know america america first republicans out there and probably just a lot of republicans in general you even alluded to a lot of democrats in blue cities where you know they're just getting inundated with all of these illegals getting dropped off there want to see something done but they at the same time know it's going to be really hard with a democrat controlled senate and a democrat in the white house to get something passed so we might not get the entirety of something like hr2 but are, are house republicans looking for something to creatively affix that to something that let's just say joe biden or chuck schumer want or need passed maybe ukraine funding or other things that they uh you know want legislatively done to make sure that the border security is at least in a lot better fashion than it is now being enforced well, I mean, you, you kind of mentioned, uh, you know, coupling Ukraine and border security. Look, you know, um, I'm, I'm not sure that I'm willing to hold hostage our southern border for someone else's border. Sure. Um, you know, I voted against Ukraine funding. And look, I'm fairly agnostic on the conflict there, but, but I have questions. Um, what is the stated ROI for the United States of America. That has not been fully articulated, right? I would argue this is a NATO problem. This is Europe problem. But but let, let's set that aside for a moment. What does peace look like? And if peace cannot be obtained, what is an exit strategy? Those three questions should be asked. They should be answered to the sufficiency of, of the United States Congress and to the American people. And right now, we don't have answers to those questions. So before you ask me to spend taxpayer money, I need answers to those three questions. And so the the idea that you're going to somehow, you know, hijack the process, that you're going to extort me or my colleagues to fund a war that I'm, I don't necessarily believe in, that quite frankly, I don't think the American people believe in, in order to secure our border. I'm sorry. 
it's not America alone, but it is America first. And so border security, I think, is something that we can leverage to get something done when it comes to the uh, the CR versus doing something for a foreign country that, quite frankly, just before the invasion was, was rated one of the most corrupt nations in the world. And now we have aides of the Ukrainian government coming forward and saying that the graft, the stealing, the theft is so bad. They can't, they can't even, they, they can't keep track of it anymore, right? Because, you know, the money's coming in and it's, it's flying out the back door as fast as it can, you can. But so again, I, I'm going to go back to what's in it for America. What do we do? And look, the blue cities, they want border security as well. Every small town in America is a border town now, whether it's fentanyl, whether it's illegals. And look, you know, so I'm on the National Security Subcommittee for Financial Services. That's the banking system. That's the economy, et cetera. And then just this last week in in committee, I had a uh, one of our witness witnesses, an expert from the government, talk about, you know, first off, we've caught uh, just under a thousand people from Iran and Syria trying to come into this country. And then number two, that we've had assassination attempts against American citizens on U.S. soil. Now, think about that for a minute. Assassination attempts by a foreign nation on our soil. That is an act of war. And meanwhile, you literally have a southern border that the three of us could drive a car across, go party and come back and no one would do anything about it. And again, in that vehicle or on our person, we could be carrying any number of things that's got to stop. And to fix that problem, which is going to destroy our country, that makes us more likely to have another terrorist attack. I'm not going to be extorted because of Ukraine. And, And forgive me for taking such a hard stance there. But I mean, you know, I need real solutions to these problems that we know are facing our country. And Ukraine is right now is, is not at the top of my list. No, which leads me to my next point, and that's Israel. What is it that the Biden administration would continue to write blank checks and throw all of our American taxpayer dollars into this abyss over in Ukraine right now, while at the same time they have walked on eggshells to play both sides of the fence in the fallout from the tragedy which happened on October 7th when Hamas obviously had that attack on Israel, killed so many civilians and caused so much terror over there. I mean, even as today, they're they're calling for these humanitarian pauses and ceasefires. You've got Barack Obama coming out of the woodwork, etc., I mean, House Republicans have to see that these are two obviously different uh, developing situations in different parts of the world. But when you look at the way the administration has kind of been hands off in Ukraine and then wants to just kid gloves through this Israel situation, which is supposedly our strongest and and, and longstanding foreign ally, it, it just has to kind of make you scratch your head. Well, I mean, to your point, regardless, you know, where you you guys stand or where your listeners stand on the conflict uh, uh, in Israel, let me be clear in my stance. It was a terrorist attack and Israel has the right to wipe them off the face of the earth and they have the right to push the Palestinians into Egypt. So that being said, you know where I stand on the, the issue. However, Israel is the, the, the tip of the spear when it comes to terrorism in the world. They are, are our eyes and ears on the ground. The entire world relies on the intelligence that that Israel gathers when it comes to foreign actors, bad actors in the Middle East who want to, quite frankly, undermine the West, the West being the United States of America and Europe. And so somehow this idea that we're not going to support Israel, and I would I would argue this, these problems are a result of bad foreign policy like 
Obama, like Biden's, where we have meddled in Israel's foreign policy policy for far too long. You know what? It's time for United States of America to stop meddling in Israel's foreign policy, to get out out of their way, and to quite frankly take the muzzle off. And 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 you see that in the context of them now releasing dogs into to, to the tunnels yep. as they should, as they should be utilizing drones in the tunnels, uh, et cetera, as well. But that being said, you know you had a land for peace deal in the early 2000s. Well, guess what? That didn't work. And so this idea that you're going to revisit this type of negotiation, that you're going to pause after there's been a terrorist attack is nonsense. If there were bad actors in Mexico that were launching Scud missiles towards Houston, we would occupy Mexico City within 72 hours. And you know what? We might not ever give it back. And Israel has the same right to do the same thing. Yeah, I mean, Joe Biden, the White House put out a statement today just as early as a few minutes ago that said they, the White House is completely against uh, Israel occupying any parts of Gaza City, even during their military <laughs> operations. Right. I think it's disgusting. And just another, uh, you know, benchmark for the failed foreign policies. This goes back to everything that Barack Obama parlayed into the Biden administration regarding the Iran deal. And, and Iran's basically funding all of these proxy wars against Israel. And it's it spelled a recipe for disaster. Congressman, last thing, you guys heard from some of the families today uh, of people that are being held hostage by uh, Hamas, uh, that probably had to be very difficult to listen to the to the plate that they're kind of under right now, especially with all the pushback. You know, you see what's going on on college campuses and throughout universities and in the streets of American cities. The, the press can't decide which team to play for when they try to, you know, spoon feed the American public their narrative. And then you have to actually sit there and listen to these people tell the stories about how mothers, elderly children, even like infants are being held hostage in Gaza in the middle of one of the worst war zones on the planet right now. You want to talk to our listenership just a little bit about that? Well, you know, again, this is where Israel needs to decide for itself what's in their best interest, not the United States meddling in their foreign policy, not the United States media or the European media for uh, meddling in their foreign policy. And so, you know, I, I think we've seen that at, at this point from the Israeli government that they don't intend to have any sort of ceasefire until the hostages have been released. That's a strategy and, and a tactic that they have to decide based off of what's really going on on the ground, the intel that they have. And again, for us to try to meddle in that is really just the arrogance. And again, it goes back decades of, of failed foreign policy between where the United States has interfered in Israel's foreign policy. And, and so we've got to trust them to make the right decision. And quite frankly, like I said before, this idea of a two-state solution, I think this demonstrates that, that it's a pipe dream, it's unicorns, it's rainbows, it doesn't exist, it's never going to happen. And if Israel decides that they want to take over that area and they want to, to push them into Egypt or Jordan, it should also be noted that Jordan does not want the Palestinian people. Egypt does not want the Palestinian people. Why? Because they are a radicalized people. End of story. They have a pay-to-slay program. So if you're a Palestinian and you're willing to kill someone from Israel, if you're willing to kill somebody from the United States, they're going to pay your family in perpetuity. This is not a people that wants to coexist with us. Anytime I see one of those bumper stickers right away, I know that that is someone who is truly uninformed, who's never read history, who's never picked up a book and understands how these folks operate in the Middle East. This is the reality on the ground. And again, it's offensive to me that the American media somehow thinks that they're policy experts when it comes to Israel when you have people on the ground going into the tunnels who are advising the prime minister and we need to trust them to do their job. And quite frankly, I have a very militant kind of view on this. I'm sure you can tell. But I mean, I'm sick and tired. Uh, Again, the idea that sons and daughters 
kids in Israel growing up with the constant threat of terrorist attacks and missiles flying overhead. I wouldn't allow that to happen in my community. I'd pick up arms and go take care of it myself. And so would a whole bunch of other rednecks from Tennessee. And so we should allow Israel to do the same thing. Well, you're 100 percent right. I mean, but real quick, I mean, Congressman Corey Mills was in Israel a couple of weeks ago. He actually saved one of our friends and brought her home. So, you know, we can't thank people like Corey Mills enough. Congressman, we can't thank you enough for spending some time with our listenership today. We know you got a hard out. You're getting ready to hit the House floor for some votes. But instead of running out to the House floor, you, you shared a little bit with Steak for Breakfast today, and we could definitely be appreciative of that. We're going to be live linking your congressional website in the show description today. But for anyone that's not following you and wants to continue to check out all the great work you're doing up on Capitol Hill, where can they find you? You just go to andyogles.com or Twitter slash Andy Ogles or Rep Ogles. I'm fairly easy to find. Uh, as you can tell, I don't have much of a filter. I'm a Southerner, so I tend to be polite when I deliver. But at the same token, my, my, my lack of filter tends to get me in trouble. But what you see is what you get. And I appreciate you guys because, look, we are under attack. And when I mean that from the mainstream media, and we need voices like you reaching out to listeners, talking truth, talking justice, fighting for the republic and standing up for the Constitution. Because the moment we lose this, we lose Republicans. And so for that, I thank you guys. No, we thank you. This is a congressman representing Tennessee 5. Brought a little fire today to get things started here on Steak for Breakfast. <laughs> Rep. Andy Eagles, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. And what would you say to people who say, oh, I'm not going to bother to register to uh, vote because my voice doesn't make a difference or I'm just one person? I say one, I say one name. Donald Trump. That should motivate you. Get off your ass and vote. Will you, will you sue him for us? Oh, we're going to definitely sue him. We're going to be a real pain in the ass. He's going to know my name personally. I love it. Well, wow. Jumping into the news portion of our show today. And Noah, what do you think? We had Andy Ogles on for the first time after a couple of reschedules. This team is pretty awesome, though. They got him in uh, right before he headed to the House floor to conduct some votes. He's got two votes going on right now. Oh, we got him primed, I guess. He was fiery, but mostly peaceful, but... <laughs> be honest with you it wasn't very mostly peaceful either it's pretty awesome yeah i like it so we'll be looking to circle back with the tennessee congressman at some point in the near future and then we're going to have congressman ralph norman joining us at the end of the segment as we jump into the news and and, and you know it's funny we've given you guys bits and pieces on this donald trump manhattan case we haven't given it full coverage we've obviously brought up some of the bigger talking points we've had on some of the guests who legally work in proximity with president trump on this case like jesse Benall. Etc. You know, we'll have Ron Coleman in here, I believe, next week as well. I'm sure he's got some great insight on this case, but it seems like now we always talk about the toothpaste that you can't put back in the tubes. You can't not turn on any media on either side of the aisle right now, at least in the mainstream, and, and not see them providing some pretty extensive coverage of this. And it, it seems to have become a, a pretty big national topic. What do you think, Noah? Well, it's just how are you going to ignore it at this point? There, there's so much stuff going on. There's so many people putting their two cents in on either side. I mean, there's there's no way the media can gloss over it like they normally like to. And, you know, that infamous video, which we've played several times over the course of the last couple of months on the show, of Letitia, Tish, Peekaboo, James, mm. the disgraced New York Attorney General. I, I don't see how... Donald Trump will ever get a fair trial in, in this Manhattan courtroom. And and fact of the matter is, is that... He'd be hard-pressed to get a, a fair trial in any courtroom at this point. I mean, other than the Supreme Court, when you're able to lay out all of the, you know, receipts. I do have a little bit of... Uh, I've got a couple announcements for the show. Now, remember, 
If you're joining us today and you live in Kentucky, Virginia, New Jersey, Mississippi, or any of the other 37 other states that have some kind of vote today, do yourself a favor. Get out and vote. Um, you know, we, we've got a huge gubernatorial race in Kentucky. Got to get Daniel Cameron over the finish line. Same thing in Virginia. Uh, Glenn Youngkin's got a lot of work to do in regards to protecting women's sports, education reform, and all the things that he's good at. You know, the entire House and Senate are up for vote today. Same thing in New Jersey. They haven't had a Republican House and Senate in over a decade. It'd be nice to see some of that stuff flipping. And, uh, again, 37 states participating in votes today. So if you're registered and you're out there, make sure you cast your vote. Every vote counts, and it's super important. Also want to remind everybody that on Wednesday, which is tomorrow, they will be holding the vote for the House vice chair. Obviously, Georgia Congressman Mike Collins, great friend of the show, he's scheduled to be joining us on our Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast next week. Is one of the nominees, Noah. In addition to saying welcome back, and I missed you last week. Yeah, sorry about that. Mm. <laughs> How did I do? I rated myself like six point seven out of ten. It wasn't bad. I've I've come back to some clusterfucks, and this one was the least clusterfucky in a while. Oh, you're welcome. Wasn't as easy as it uh, appears to be from this side of the podcasting table. Yeah, you wonder why sometimes I'm not paying attention. But listen, in the same way that we've urged you guys to hound your congressmen and women in regards to the Speaker of the House vote, it's time to send them maybe like a nice phone call or email or message to vote for Mike Collins for Republican House Vice Chair. It'd be nice to see, number one, some America First in leadership. Number two, great friend of the show in leadership. And, And he has kind of brought... The meme caucus into existence? Hmm. What did you think of that campaign video I sent you yesterday? <laughs> that was his actual campaign video? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. He texted it to me. He's like, hey, you think you could put this out on all your social medias? I was like, done and done. Done. Did it already. Amazing. I know there's some people who have been uh, a little bit harsh on new speaker, Mike Johnson, since he's obtained the gavel. Best I could say to you guys is that everything that I've been able to gather over the course of the last week and a half or so is that he's working. Uh, we participated in a space the other day. It was attended by Congressman George Santos, Congressman Gates. I was able to ask Matt Gates a question in regards to getting border security passed, and he seemed pretty optimistic that they're going to be able to get it done in some way, shape, or form. But also I wanted to reiterate to the American people that HR2 had already passed, and it's Chuck Schumer in the Senate and Joe Biden in the White House that are stopping it from coming to life so you just have to take into account the man can only do so much they've already passed a bill in the house of representatives now getting the biggest and most important portions of that bill attached to things that maybe joe biden wants is an avenue and yogles didn't think so we'll see what ralph norman says about it and we're also going to have rep burkeen in today again so action-packed show we'll touch up with theo wald a little bit later in the podcast as well former deputy assistant to president trump last year and a half of the first trump presidency so great show and we're going to be jumping in right here, giving a little bit of uh, coverage to the Manhattan court case, the the civil case against Donald Trump, where, you know, Letitia James and this radical judge, what is his name? Edgeron? <laughs> no, it would be good Transformers name. <laughs> yeah. Edgeron? Is that like when you... Uh... Apparently that guy's got a lot of shirtless selfies on... <coughs> oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't want that. It's ugly, just like him. Mm. 
But yesterday was an interesting day because Donald Trump actually took the stand and, and provided a lot of testimony on some of the things that are in question, which shouldn't be. And again, I'm no lawyer in regards to property and taxes. However, when, when you look at a beautiful piece of land, who's to say what it's worth? You know, I see people putting up things on Zillow all the time and from Redfin down in South Florida of condos and properties adjacent to Mar-a-Lago that are going for like $35 million. It's like a four-bedroom condo. And wait, Trump's is only worth like what, 50 cents? 18 million. <laughs> 250 acres of Mar-a-Lago, the golf course and all that stuff. I'll take that loan. It was high drama and a roller coaster of emotions up in Manhattan yesterday. I'm going to start off right now by playing a more current clip of Peekaboo James. Uh, this was her outside of the courthouse yesterday. Let's check it out. This morning, Mr. Trump will take the stand in our trial against him, the Trump Organization, and other defendants. Mr. Trump has repeatedly and consistently misrepresented and inflated his, the value of his assets. And before he takes the stand, I am certain that he will engage in name-calling mm. and taunts oh, no. and race-baiting. Call her an animal. Mm. And call this a witch hunt. True story. But at the end of the day, the only thing that matters are the facts and the numbers. And numbers, my friends, don't lie. Thank you. Do they, though? Number? Isn't, isn't that racist? Or math? Math? Math is racist? I mean, if... If Michael Cohen, and, and we always go back to this reference, you know, in that part of that testimony where Michael Cohen said he had, you know, valued the Trump assets at somewhere roughly around $6 billion, and Donald Trump kind of did the old, well, it's probably more of like $8 billion, but that's just me. And, and, you know, does that mean you erase $6 billion on your tax forms and put probably $8 billion? Yeah. So, yes, numbers can lie. And, you know, I mean... Corporate tax fraud's one of the biggest white collar crimes in the history of the universe. Yeah, I mean they they were they were going to put how many more new uh, IRS agents in play just to unfuck everybody's taxes, right? I think it was somewhere in the neighborhood of eleven billion. Eleven billion. Yeah. That's uh, not a racist number. That's for damn sure. We, we shan't be seeing that if the Israeli aid package goes through. Which I, I. What do you think about that, Noah? It's going to be about roughly fifteen billion dollars to send an aid package over to Israel. In, in their conflict with Hamas, which is ongoing right now. But at the same time, the only way that we're sending that $15 billion over there is if we erase $15 billion allotted for the new FBI armed task force set to head to the academy next year. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the American people want exactly that. I don't want us to be manufacturing money in the basement anymore. Mm. I want us to be taking away from bullshit that we don't need. Mm. The IRS shouldn't even exist. The mm. IRS is, is theft. It's so funny. Everyone who's famous has those also convenient unpaid back taxes. It's like, why does those rules only apply to regular American citizens? Well, it was one of those things where it, it, it's 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 a government program basically that never went away after its defined necessity was over. And the IRS was literally what was it during World War II or something like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was supposed to go away. It wasn't supposed to be permanent, but now it's like, well, the, the government, you know, you got to spend it, otherwise it goes away, or you got to use it, or we're just never going to get rid of it. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. True story. It, it's funny, too, during Donald Trump's testimony, 
there, there's an account on Twitter, Inner City Press, who has given us kind of a verbatim, word for word, what was the exchanges between the prosecution, the judge who continuously interjected, and then Donald Trump, who was given testimony like only Donald Trump could. And, uh, you know, some of the exchanges here, New York Attorney General, a, a lawyer with her office who was cross-examining Donald Trump said, we've seen multiple loan agreements and your signature on them. Hmm. You paid all of these off? Where Donald Trump would reply, yes, with cash. I think this is this case is a disgrace. People are leaving New York City due to this kind of things. It's only complaining, and this is you. And, uh, you know, then he would go on to, of course, throw his two cents in on Letitia James. You have the attorney general sitting here all day while people are being killed in the streets. I don't have a jury. I want a jury. She sued me under a statute that doesn't have a jury. Why are you trying to keep me on the stand right now as I consider it election interference? And then again, the judge would interject and said, you know, would, would you allow or would you prefer to have Mr. Trump continue to ramble on? To which point, you know, they said, well, he's not answering the question. He said, I did answer the question. I said, yes, mm. I paid it back with cash. Got him. But, you know, then he added his two cents. And then there was this whole thing with uh, overlooking some of his properties. And, you know, one of the biggest, nicest golf courses that Donald Trump has is the Trump golf course out in Scotland. And, you know, he always complains about it. He talks about the windmills that are over there and stuff. But there's a portion of it that's undeveloped, I guess, in Aberdeen, which is an oil-rich portion of the nation. Mm-hmm. And they asked him why he hasn't developed land there, to which at some point during that testimony Donald Trump alluded to, I haven't developed the land there because I have a castle. It's a big, beautiful castle, and someday I'll go there and do something with it. <laughs> which at some point... I the, mean, you don't knock down a castle to build an apartment complex. That's not, that's not what you do. The AI-generated memes of Donald Trump returning <laughs> to Scotland to rule it. <laughs> We're fire yesterday. I think he's going to reinstitute prima nocta. You know, and then the courtroom <laughs> sketches of Donald Trump, he looked like a Down syndrome Lindsey Graham. And then thank God all the people in America first to go out there and made like the absolute giga Chad Trump <laughs> court sketches with AI and put it underneath the, I mean, the pictures, they, this is a hit job. And you know, the only thing that this is doing is wasting Donald Trump's time in the campaign trail. doesn't seem to be hurting him too much as far as the poll number goes. We'll get to that a little bit later in the show. No, him being hurt in the polls is over. It, that's not even a thing. It's not even an option. Not according to Ron DeSantis and Kim Reynolds. We'll get to that later as well. Ron cowboy boots? Oh, boy. But the thing is, this is costing Donald Trump a lot of money. It's costing Donald Trump a lot of time. You know, somebody went into the comments of one of the posts I put in reference to this Manhattan case this week. The person said, he sounds fiery but looks tired. And I just commented. I said, how are you not going to be tired? I said, here's the deal. The last six days... Two campaign stops in Nevada, two campaign stops in Iowa, one campaign stop in Houston. In between that, he's been back and forth to New Jersey twice and hosted a Halloween party at Mar-a-Lago. I said, I'm 20 years, 25 years younger than Donald Trump, and there's no way that I'd be able to do that without sleeping for a week afterwards. I'm tired just thinking about it. Yeah, and, and meanwhile, he's still delivering the fire rhetoric that we expect from the 45th president. But before we get to his, let's hear America First Attorney, great friend of the show, Miss Alina Haba. I was told to sit down today. I was yelled at, and I've had a judge who is unhinged slamming a table. Let me be very clear. I don't tolerate that in my life. I'm not going to tolerate it here. Mm. And you know what? You shouldn't either. Because not every American citizen gets a camera and a microphone. And what I'm seeing is such a demise of American 
judicial system and democracy. Miss James came out this morning and said that she knew Mr. Trump, and she always calls him Mr. Trump because yep. it kills her that he was the president. But the 45th president of this country, one of the best presidents we've had, has built a great company. It's worth a ton more than that statement of financial condition. And she doesn't know how to get out of it because her politics won't allow her. She calls him a bully. She says he's going to bring out racial slurs. He's going to say things today and taunt her. Well, Miss James, you taunted him. Before you came into office, before you saw one record, one statement of financial condition, you taunted him. You said his administration was too male and too pale. Those are her words. She forgot stale. She said Stop, that she and Michael Cohen we're going to be his biggest nightmare. Where well, I have some news for you, Miss James. Ooh. Michael Cohen folded, lied, and crumbled. Your star witness, along with all the DAs and corrupt AGs, need to be paying attention to what happens when you let us take the stand. That's when you let true. my client speak the truth, and the judge can tell me to sit down, and he can try and shorten my client's testimony, but it is loud and clear. They've got nothing. They've got nothing but their politics. She's got nothing but her Soros backing, which we discovered recently. And I am sick and tired of seeing it. Pay attention, America. You know, and the, the entirety of that clip is nearly seven minutes long, which I posted on our social medias yesterday. So if you want to see the full statement from Trump attorney Alina Haba, please go check it out. The thing that I thought was funny yesterday, I threw it up there with a caption with like, you know, watch. Alina Haba is on fire today with a couple flames. The amount of wood memes <laughs> that graciously found their way to the comment section after that. It was uh, pretty epic to say the least. Nice. You know, and, and then you talk about some of these people. Listen, for all of our listeners out there who participate in the festivities on our social medias, thank you. We see you. Festivities. Well, listen, we try to reply to you as much as possible. We follow back in, in certain cases as well, but you guys do a fantastic job of, of throwing our names up there. I have saw some people over the last couple of weeks said, you know, we're in our top five podcasts that are, are must listen to. And, you know, you throw ones up there with like human events and, and Tim cast and Steven Crowder. And number one, it's very flattering, but at the same time, it, it, it gives me and Noah some incentive to come in and, and make this happen twice a week, you know, for you guys with all the guests and uh, the amount of coverage we provide. It, it's, it's really feels good. You know, I did see somebody though. I know we touched on calling your representative and telling them that you want, Mike Collins, the Georgia representative, to be nominated and, and confirmed as the Republican House vice chair. I saw somebody was in our comment section, like, right before I pulled into your house, ready to pound some coke and call every congressman and woman on earth. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not what I meant, but I'll allow it. And, you know, the thing is, is that not only are we changing the way that you guys consume your news, trying to give you some narrative and insight and analysis from inside and outside the beltway, but at the same time with a much different perspective than you'll normally hear on other podcasts or even see on television, it becomes a challenge sometimes to be able to get this stuff in, uh, I guess, on time and under budget. But I think we do a pretty good job, Noah. I mean, you know, occasionally it takes me over an hour and a half to edit, but that's just, that's a fluke. Yeah. And uh, for all the haters and losers, we see you. Wah. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Donald Trump would speak following his uh, time on the stand yesterday at the end of the court day. 
And when he appeared outside of the Manhattan courtroom, obviously there was a huge amount of press set there to hear the 45th president's statement. Let's hear it. To them in a moment. Let's watch this. The fraudster in this case, they made references to assets that were very valuable, and they said uh, they had no idea. They had no idea what the numbers were when they said $18 million from Mar-a-Lago, and it's 50 to 100 times that amount True. by any estimation. Uh, it's a terrible thing that's happened here. We're taking days and days and weeks and weeks, and it goes on, and then you look at the outside world and what's happening, but of course they're getting their wish because I don't have to be here for the most part, but I sort of do have to be here because I want to be here because it's a scam. And this is a case that should have never been brought and it's a case that now should be dismissed. Everybody saw what happened today. Everybody saw what happened with their star witness who admitted that. I never told him what he originally said. I did. He admitted that he lied, and he has absolutely no credibility whatsoever. That's their only witness. That's their only witness. And I think you saw what I had to say today, and it was very conclusive. Everything we did was absolutely right. To think that we're being sued and spending all this time and money, and yet people being killed all over the world, that this country could stop. With inflation and all of the other problems that this country has, I think it's a disgrace. And when you look at the numbers, the poll numbers that came out today from the New York Times and CBS, I'm sure the Times was not too happy. <laughs> but people are sick and tired of what's happening. This is a sad, I think it's a very sad day for America. But anyway, this is a case that should have never been brought, and it's a case that should be immediately dismissed. Thank you. Thank you. And he would take no questions after that. You know, it's pretty interesting, too. The way I look at this is you see the way this is kind of unfolding, Noah. And the hard thing for me is you see all of these past presidents. George W. Bush was honored uh, just last week at the Texas Rangers World Series game where he threw out the first pitch. You know, you see Barack Obama, who did like a speaking event in, in Israel recently, I believe, in late October, where he was talking about the plight of the Palestinian people and just continuing his divisive rhetoric. Like, you have to look at the Hamas attack on Israel situation through the eyes of the people who live in Gaza. No, you don't. Mm. No, you don't. No, you don't. You know, every week, more and more of these videos kept getting leaked, or people continue to send me videos on social media. Sometimes we get, I mean, I get some text messages from congressmen and women who get access to stuff, and they, they kind of let us see it to, you know, continue to build our narrative on this. I mean, there was one video I saw last week. I can't remember who sent it to me, but it was like these two people systematically killed an Israeli family. Like they like cut them and shot them and beat them to death. And then they like around all the dead bodies, like walked to the other side of the house and went into the refrigerator and made themselves food and ate at their kitchen table. Wait, what? Yeah. During the Hamas attack on Israel, they like systematically killed an entire family. Each family member got to see the next one killed in front of each other. And when they were done massacring this family, they went down the hallway in the same house and ate a meal at their kitchen table around the dead bodies while other people in the development were getting, you could hear gunfire and screaming, yelling. Hmm. And it's just like, that's, uh, yeah, that's dark. Yeah. And, 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 but you know, the way all these former presidents go around and get their buttholes licked by the mainstream media. Everyone fucking hates George W. Bush. The guy's a, essentially a war criminal. He started two 20-year wars where you have more American servicemen and women killed 
than we had in a long time, even more hurt for life on the fallout of 9-11. And, and then look how Joe Biden wraps that up. Same thing with Barack Obama and Bill and Hillary Clinton. They just are loved. And then you, you have this guy right here who fought back against everyone that greases the gears in Washington, D.C. And all this is is them playing spoiled brat bitch mm-hmm. sore loser. That Donald Trump was able to have so many of these big-time accomplishments that Joe Biden can't even erase them all. And instead of allowing him to just run for the office, which he desires to be in again, and that's the president of the United States, they're going to try and bankrupt him and make everyone that's around him supporting him scared to be friends with him. It's really good to see that there are a lot of people, especially in America First and the best ones from the last administration, who have stuck by his side, but a lot have left. And they're never coming back. Yeah, you will not be forgotten. No. Touching on my last point before that audio clip, I hope you guys are enjoying the show today. Wherever you're listening to it, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, just make sure you're following the show. Following means that the show is downloading on your electronic device. Helps us out big time in the suggestions, massages the algorithms, helps us out in the Apple Top 100, etc. And then across social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow them, and make sure you hit the notification bell. So I said this had spilled over into the mainstream media, and, and now everyone has to kind of pay attention to this because not only has Letitia James' case fallen off the rails, but you know Donald Trump is eventually going to wind up getting, even if the ruling is in his favor, another W eventually through the appeals process or at the Supreme Court level. But you saw one of his biggest endorsements as of late. Iowa Attorney General Brenna Byrd, she put out a statement yesterday following the shenanigans in the Manhattan courthouse regarding this situation. Let's hear her. Hey, Brenna Byrd, Iowa Attorney General here. It's another sad day in America with the political witch hunt of a trial against President Trump conducted by Soros-funded New York Attorney General Letitia James. I'm not surprised that she campaigned on it, but she needs to do her job as Attorney General, not orchestrate a witch hunt against President Trump. Mm. Court should be about impartial justice, not a weaponized trial, not playing politics, and not waging an election campaign in a court of law. America deserves better. And President Trump deserves better, too. I think it's a good statement from a, a very powerful person yeah. in, in, you know, the Attorney General of Iowa there, Trump endorser. Unlike the governor of the same state, we'll get to that again a little bit later in the show. It's pretty funny. I got a good Trump truth shot chaser as well. Nice. And, I mean, here's the thing. You say that these people don't play partisan politics. You say that these people aren't out to, and I'm air quoting now, get President Trump Listen to the rhetoric that they literally say they are. I mean, mean, there are five, six, seven minute long Facebook videos, multiple TikTok videos of Letitia James just saying like she's going to dunk on Donald Trump in every legal way possible when she becomes the attorney general. This is after her failed gubernatorial campaign in New York. And then you have her just yesterday as we played in the second clip of her outside the courthouse saying like, oh, yeah, I'm sure Donald Trump's going to like try to be the center of attention. He's going to be divisive. He's going to be racist. He's going to be all these things like that's not how someone who's trying somebody for a crime presents their case against him before they walk into the actual courtroom and he takes the stand. That's yeah, that should be grounds joke. for dismissal just on the basis of not impartiality. And, and how this isn't a joke is beyond me, but I think, and I'm, I'm probably in the silent majority in this, Donald Trump will have the last laugh. We're getting ready to jump in with Ralph Norman now, but before, I've got one more clip. Senator Ted Cruz blessed us with a little spot last night on Boomer Sweats, Sean Hannity's show, to weigh in 
on the Trump Manhattan civil case. Let's hear him. You know, what what Eric Trump was just saying about the unfairness of this proceeding is exactly right. Letitia James is a hardcore partisan. She campaigned saying, I'm going to get Donald Trump. I'm going to go after Donald Trump. This judge, by all appearances, is a hardcore partisan who hates Donald Trump. And and we can anticipate he's going to rule against Trump. He doesn't like Trump. He wants to punish Trump. Look, you and I have both been to Mar-a-Lago many times. It is an extraordinary, it's a spectacular property. The idea that that's $18 million is utterly laughable. And I'll tell you what, there is not a person on planet Earth who, if you were told you can buy Mar-a-Lago for $18 million, wouldn't Done. immediately go try to raise the money to do it. Like, like, uh, like you could, it's insane. It's- and that's the thing. Mm-hmm. At this point, I don't even think Letitia James hates Donald Trump. I think she's more of like a paid actress to hate Donald Trump. Now, the judge who's a longstanding partisan and some big douchebag donor to like people that want to put J6ers in jail and to Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama and Joe Biden's campaigns, that's one thing. But I just think Letitia James is kind of an opportunist. more Much like, uh, what's her name, the Golden Corral lady, Stacey Abrams down oh, in Georgia? I, I think she's like a, a, a shorter, less fat version of her. Still fat and disgusting. She is an animal. I think she's the reason why Georgia is down. <sighs> well, way down. Yeah. Hey, how funny was it that people were making Chris Christie Golden Corral memes and sending them to us? <laughs> awesome. Again, I love not only our listeners, but all of our interactive users out there on social media. So, you know, now that the mainstream media is being forced to cover the partisanness of this case and, and the obviously huge bias that the system has against Donald Trump, is it going to force the New York Attorney General, maybe the judge in the case, to rule differently? I don't know. But I just wanted to give you guys a little all-encompassing 360 on what has happened over the last 24 hours if you haven't been able to catch it and now consider yourself caught up as of today so donald trump's going to be doing a little traveling today i believe he's heading back to mara lardo before having probably the biggest rally of the campaign season yet as part of counter programming to fox news's third republican primary fake news debate tomorrow mm-hmm. in miami which we'll obviously be providing comprehensive coverage of on our friday edition of the show right now we're all set to be jumping in with Congressman Ralph Norman. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. It's an unpleasant truth that 42% of Americans are obese and 79% of Americans are overweight. That's practically one in every two Americans living day to day with every minute counting down to the end of an unhealthy existence. It's time to change that and make Americans healthy again. You've probably heard about weight loss injections that can help you get back into that right mindset and help curb those cravings so you can focus on what's really important. New Hope Wellness has changed thousands of lives and maybe it can change yours too. They are American family owned and operated with the goal of saving lives. With convenient telehealth options, you can speak to a licensed professional from the comfort of your own home, and all products are delivered discreetly to your front door. Visit newhopewellness.com forward slash state and start your journey to a better you. That's newhopewellness.com forward slash state to get your free consultation and 100 bucks off your first order. 1-800-527-2150. Make America healthy again. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Tuesday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, he's a congressman that represents... South Carolina's 5th Congressional District. Happy to sit down again with Representative Ralph Norman. Congressman, welcome back to the show. Glad to be with you. Appreciate what you do. Appreciate you guys uh, working hard up on Capitol Hill. I want to start off today with a little bit of, not breaking news, but news that's developed over the last hour while we're here in the show. We saw Speaker of the House Mike Johnson come out and said that House Republicans had met with the families of some of the people being held hostage in Gaza. 
from over in Israel. I mean, that's a continuously developing situation. You guys have worked hard to put a standalone bill, which pays for itself essentially last week that got passed through the House, done. I want you to just kind of give our listenership a little bit of insight on the on the meeting today without any, you know, obviously the specific details, but then talk about the importance of getting that bill passed. Yeah, you know, um, our heart goes out to, to the families that have got family members that are held hostage. They don't know whether they're alive or not. Uh, especially in light, we've got five members of Congress who are openly hostile to Israel. They, you know, are uh, saying that Israel is to blame for the murders that took place when Palestine is the one that, that murdered these victims. Uh, but no, it shows an empathy that, that Mike has, and as well as really all the Republican members of Congress, and I'm sure some Democrats too. But uh, it puts a face with what's going on in a country that is our only democracy in the Middle East. And uh, it makes us want to do even more. As you mentioned, we've you know we got aid coming to Israel, and the fact that it's offset uh, the the mood now in this country, uh, and particularly in Congress, is we've finally got a speaker who is trustworthy. He actually wants to cut government, and the fact that he put the uh, the offsets with cutting the IRS agents, who their only requirement is carrying a gun. Yeah, uh, they're not they're not accountants. They're there to harass American people. So. Hopefully, we'll, it'll pass through the Senate, and the standalone bill and not tied to Ukraine was monumental, because I don't think it would have passed if it we had tied to uh, Ukraine, and the Senate doesn't want to offset anything. So uh, anyway, it's a step in the right direction for the House of Representatives. Oh, it certainly is, and I, I do want to touch on that real quick. Why should we even have to be in this day and age just you know, exactly a month away from the atrocities that happened in Israel when Hamas attacked unprovoked on October 7th, that we, we are talking about things like a showdown in the Senate with Chuck Schumer or a blockade in the Oval Office with Joe Biden when we know Israel is in one of its darkest times of need right now. And and, and the only thing you hear on any of the you know, opposition to the to the point that America stands with Israel is one of its strongest allies in any of the mainstream media is we need to cause you know, we need to have pauses for humanitarian aids and negotiate ceasefires when just as part of Joe Biden's failed foreign policies, he's doing the direct opposite. And let's just say places like Ukraine. Well, for the Biden administration to even mention a ceasefire, where was the ceasefire as children were getting their heads cut off with shovels? Where was the where was the ceasefire when they were setting fire to houses and burning families? Uh, where's the ceasefire with the openly dragging bodies uh, all over Gaza. I mean, where was that? And then for this administration uh, to even mention that, it's not only is it not America's role, we're supposed to be enabling Israel. And, uh, you know, the, the $100 million aid package that Biden sent a month ago, which now was shown to go to Hamas, uh, you know, you wouldn't think of these things. It's un-American. And uh, it shouldn't be Democrat or Republican, but this administration is completely unhinged. They're supporting our enemies now. Uh, the fact we're buying oil from OPEC, which I think the, the numbers came out with $80 billion being made by Iran, mm. and we're part of that because we're not producing our own oil and selling it across the globe. It's un- unthinkable, and it's unfathomable that it's happening. Yeah, some people just have to learn how to put, especially in instances like these, put politics aside and do what's best for the world, essentially, at this point. Congressman, I do want to segue into something that kind of sticks in the same thread, but is, is at the forefront of a lot of America's minds, and that's the, 
you know, job that you guys have ahead of yourselves of getting the border locked down. You know, there's a lot of people who are harsh critics of people in the House, especially on the Republican side, who no matter what you guys do, no matter what you guys talk about, pass, fight for, stay on time with, they'll say, close the border, close the border, close the border. We try to explain to our listenership extensively what HR2 was, how awesome that it was that you guys were able to pass it, and that where it's sitting now, which is essentially in limbo, as you guys move through the appropriations process. Can you just kind of, I don't want to even say reassure, but just reiterate to our listenership the fact that the House Republicans did come together to do comprehensive border security, and where your guys' passing of the bill ends is where other facets of, of Congress and essentially the President of the United States has to pick up on it. And it's been known that the Biden administration is going to veto it. And if you ask anybody in America today, the number one concern is what's happening on the border. We now have over 3,000 terrorists in this country. The fight has shifted to America now, not overseas. The 9-11s will happen on our soil. Uh, ask any Intel member. But, but H, you know, for HR2 to even be a question now and us having to tie it to make the Senate to other bills, make the Senate pass it, uh, again, it's just un-American. And, you know, our members of the Texas delegation will tell you the horror that is that is plaguing Texas right now. Uh, Arizona, uh, Andy Biggs mentioned they've got 9,000 coming across the border in Arizona per day. Yep. They've got uh, they've got the cartels paying for and provide buses to to ship the migrants to other cities that some some as far as 100 miles away. So it's a disaster. HR2 uh, tried to put some guardrails in to make the administration build a wall, to make the administration put points of entry, to make the administration let the Border Patrol agents do what they were paid to do, which is to stop uh, illegals and, and process them and send them back to Mexico. And they're just not doing that. And so, again, you have to scratch your head. Why is this occurring? He's taking the side of the 160 countries that's destroying our border and to be honest with you, destroying America. And I don't know how we walk that back. It's going to be a tough one, but you know, it's, it's one that I, I pray that you guys continue to fight on. It doesn't seem like anybody's ready to put down the sword on border security. And I, I think after talking to a lot of your congressional counterparts over the last few weeks, especially since uh, Mike Johnson picked up the speaker's gavel, it looks like we're going to be coming up with some creative ways to formulate getting border security into things that Joe Biden wants passed as well. Congressman, last thing I want to touch with you on, you guys are heading through the appropriations process now. Last time we checked in with you guys, it was up to seven bills. You could update us now on if it's gotten any higher than that. However, we are starting to get into the talks of a continuing resolution to keep the government open after November 17th. Some people are calling for a laddered one. Some people are calling one all the way through the first of the year to January 3rd. Obviously, the House Republicans are, are hard-nosed on things like the omnibus bill. Just for the sole fact of working through this appropriations process and getting these standalone bills done for the American people, what do you think is the best option right now? Well, we passed seven bills and sent the Senate. The Senate has acted on three. Um, in the past, the Senate would basically <clears throat> signal they're not going to accept anything we do, then they'd go home. So finally, under speak under Speaker Johnson, we're calling their bluff on it. Uh, I, I Typically, I would had any other... Under McCarthy, I'd be opposed to any CR because, you know, the omnibus is what, what we ended up with when you backed it up to Christmas holidays when people, the representatives want to get home to their families. But with Johnson, uh, we'll pass what we can pass. Uh, we're voting on two this week. 
uh, we passed seven, uh, and then we'll come back and hopefully pass the others. But uh, I would we can't get it in before the seventeenth, unfortunately. Sure. Now, for your listeners, there are a lot of reasons for that. Uh, you know, we took the time off to get the speaker for three weeks. That being as it, as it is, I I will support the laddered approach, put it till January, and then uh, to be determined extensions on coming together with the Senate. But we're basically hopefully going to tell the Senate uh, we're not taking what they give us. We're going to pass what we can pass and uh, draw a hard line between them because all they know how to do is spend taxpayers' money, and we're tired of it. No, you certainly are. And, and, you know, when you look at the fights that have, the battles that you guys have won coming out of the the speakership race, and then, you know, the satisfaction that I'm hearing from a lot of the America First House Republicans like yourself, Congressman, who's proud to have Mike Johnson as the Speaker of the House right now and is excited to get back to work and get things done under him. I'm pretty optimistic that you guys are going to figure it out. I do think we have a little bit more of this growing process ahead in the short term, but long term, I think you guys are setting yourself up of getting through the holidays, getting appropriations done, and you know putting the ball back in the Senate's court, obviously in Joe Biden's court as well, and and wrapping up the 118th session in uh, textbook fashion. I, I absolutely like it. Just like I like sitting down with you today, we're obviously going to be live linking your congressional website in the show description today. But for anyone that wants to check you out and all the good work that you're doing, where can they find you on social media? Uh, RepRalphNorman.com. Absolutely fantastic. Just like the work that you're doing here, this is a congressman who's representing South Carolina 5. He's also doing a lot of work for all of the American people. Congressman Ralph Norman, thanks for joining us on the show today. My pleasure. Thank you. In the White House now, when he's wrong, when he's wrong, we must also admit when our leaders have been wrong. And you can yell and boo about it as much as you like, but it doesn't change the truth. And the truth is coming. The truth is coming. I have respected Donald Trump more than anybody else in this race because he was the best president of the 21st century. I've said that before, and I will say it again because it's the right thing to do. We will honor that legacy. These are people that fight, and they fight so hard for you. I watched uh, numerous speeches that they just made. They were incredible, and uh, they're incredible people. They are members of Congress, Matt Gates. Where is Matt? Matt, thank you, Matt. Great job. I'll tell you, he loves your state, and uh, he loves our country, and they all do. Thank you very much, Matt. Good job. The Make America Great Again movement is ascendant. Mike Johnson is House Speaker, and Donald John Trump will be the next President of the United States. All right, jumping back into the news here. Noah, what did you think? It was good catching up with Congressman Norman. Yeah, it was good. I like that guy. He seems pretty fired up as well. Uh, definitely wants to hold the Biden administration accountable for all of the bullshit that's going on right now, especially on the border. I think everybody does. I don't I don't see how anybody is looking at this unless they're full on, I hate to say it again, driving around in their car with their mask on. Mm. If, you, if, you, if you can ignore everything that's going on in front of your face and what's happening in your wallet every time you take it out and try to buy something and you're not thinking, oh, you're still trying to blame Trump for this? Come on, give me a break. Mm-hmm. You know, don't get Dr. Ben Carson started again. Mm. I'm sure you had a chance to listen to Friday's edition of the show. What do you think having the good doctor back on following his big endorsement of Donald Trump last week in Iowa? That was good. We need him on, like, way more often. 
I, solid. I, I know you couldn't see him on the camera when we were talking to him because obviously you weren't in studio. But when we did kind of nudge him a little bit on the possibility of not only just getting back in the game to join and serve again in the next Trump administration, but VP, he gave us a big smile. Oh, so I wouldn't be opposed. Uh, he's definitely in my top three. I would be utterly satisfied with Ben mm-hmm. Carson on the same ticket with Donald Trump. Yeah. We're going to be providing some coverage now of Donald Trump headlining the Florida Freedom Summit that happened this weekend. You know, it was pretty funny. Not only did Donald Trump pay homage to Matt Gates and the work he did in getting Mike Johnson as speaker. Funny story. Just for our listenership, I mean, Noah obviously knows. Speaker Mike Johnson answers his text messages. I was about to say. You a little surprised yesterday when he messaged me back? It was pretty fast, too, within an hour. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would have expected just maybe a red, leave you on red. Yeah. It, I it, mean, you are a pretty influential person and... Kind have, of a big deal. I have no power. Kind of a big deal. I have no not you. Power. I mean, Mike, not you. Yeah. I don't think you're influential. At all. <laughs> I'm just a micro-influencer here. No, but it was great. We, we, we had had the Speaker of the House's number. We got it from a contact not too long ago. And, you know, over the course of the last few days, I reached out to him. I said, hey, this is who I am. This is what we do. These are some of your congressional counterparts who regularly fill out the show. Send them a couple images of our uh, show covers. He read it and within an hour messaged me back. Hey, listen, great hearing from you. Looks like you guys got a good thing going on. This is the person to contact. If it's going to happen, she'll make it happen. So he provided us with his communications director's contact information. And long story short, at some point in the near future, hopefully we'll have Speaker Johnson join us on the show. You know, uh, Donald Trump also paid homage to the large delegation of Florida state legislators who had recently abandon Ron DeSantis endorsements and come on over to Team Trump. Nice. There was a large slate of them there. And, of course, acknowledged all of our great friends in the House of Representatives, you know, obviously Greg Stubbe, Byron Donalds, Corey Mills, etc. While in the Sunshine State, it was pretty weird, too. Chris Christie obviously got booed for the entirety of his speaking event. People like Vivek Ramaswamy used paying homage to Donald Trump as a method not to get booed. Bird brain Nikki Haley didn't show up, Noah. Really? So here's the deal. If you went and spoke or participated in the Florida Freedom Summit last weekend, mm-hmm. it was the event that was centered around filling out the paperwork to get your name on the ballot for the Florida primary on March 19th of next year. Okay. If you don't go. You don't. You still do, but you have to pay an extra $75,000. And dodging that? At that expense, what was the benefit? Not, not getting, getting booed. booed. <laughs> I mean, $75,000 if you're a rich asshole just not to get booed? I mean, Ron DeSantis wasn't booed. I mean, there's a reason why Chris Christie doesn't actually go to Golden Corral. <laughs> exactly. You leave now. <laughs> You've been here four hours. There's the end clip for the show today. <laughs> but, th- but the thing is, Ron DeSantis wasn't really booed. He didn't really talk about the divide between him and Donald Trump either. Of course, Donald Trump definitely hit on some desanctimonious items, but Ron DeSantis stuck to the free state of Florida, his policy-driven agenda in his first term as the governor, fighting back against Fauci, blah, 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 all the bullshit, which the people eat up. But that's neither here nor there. Is that, I, is that retard still trying to get back into the fucking spotlight, the, the old Fouchster? No. 
<laughs> Still on Rand Paul's website, it says Fire Fauci. I don't know if you noticed, it says Fire Fauci. COVID's coming back this year. It's going to be big. You think the last winter was dark? Break out the masks. <laughs> Bondage masks. Get your boosters. Where's the ball gag? Zipper mask. Fucking asshole. But the thing is, for Nikki Haley not to show up to this, I thought was, I don't know, I don't know how else to put it. It's gay. Well, and then you're gonna, it's just lame. You, no, but you're gonna blow seventy five thousand dollars by not showing up to do the simplest fucking thing that you could possibly do. Talk about yourself. Talk about yourself for what ten minutes, and get yourself on the list, and then you're gonna ask people to donate. To recover that $75,000 that you irresponsibly fucked off. And what was she doing? They may, may got her 20 for that? Like, where was she at? You know, the, the emails come out, help me fight against Ron DeSantis' hurtful attacks, blah, blah, blah. And? and? She was around. <laughs> but no, but like, what was her, what was she doing? Was she doing something that she could in any way construe as, like, necessary oh you know i really had to miss it because i was feeding eskimos in alaska or i don't know what the fuck like anything oh you, i mean you're 100 percent right and and it just it shows that they will hide from events like that where it's where it's a lot more in real life and then they'll go to the stupid events like the fake primary republican debate that's set to happen down in miami on on wednesday what is that one you know, Doug Burgum didn't even make this the stage for this one. They they have like five, and it's it's like Christie, Haley, Meatball. They have five stages stacked together just for Christie, so they don't break. Vivek, and and that's it. You know, it's like they got four or five people that are going to be doing this debate in, in a fake primary where Donald Trump is not there. Donald Trump will be twelve miles away in the parking lot of the largest swap meet in Florida. <laughs> I gotta go to that swap meet someday. In some ghetto-ass neighborhood, hosting the biggest Trump rally of probably this election season. I feel like somebody with a drone should, like, airdrop a pizza onto Chris Christie when he's talking. Oh, man. I'm not, you know, advocating for any sort of pizza violence, but... <laughs> they don't even let spectators... I mean, the first debate had all those people in it in Milwaukee, and it just went off the rails between them all fighting with each other and people yelling from the crowd. Then the second debate, it was like... A couple hundred people, but they were all, like, your staff and your family. There was no people there. There was no, like, public. Now, I don't even know what the rules are for this one. Frankly, I don't care. I honestly hope Ronald McDaniel and those over at the RNC just make this the last debate. Yeah, if Donald Trump's not going to... Yeah, he's just... I mean, he already got you once with Tucker. Now he's going to be doing a rally. I mean, I don't know what else you want. Just stop. I just, want you to st stop. just stop. Just stop. Okay, and it's, it's sad. Start to urge these candidates. Um, the way I see it shaking out, too. No, this is what I see right now. It's like it's like they're covering their bets. It's like, well, we don't really think all this legal bullshit's gonna actually gonna take Trump out of the running, but like we have to at least you know play the other side. Right. Let's, let's put let's put twenty bucks on black and red. Pretend like we're playing for later. Yeah. I think Ron DeSantis is gonna stay in the race as long as he can through the first five primaries. It's it's gonna be ugly, but I just think the way it is. I think at some point before the first primaries, Tim Scott, South Carolina senator, is going to get out and in the short term endorse Nikki Haley. He's just going to say, listen, 
This isn't a full and total endorsement. This is consolidating the powers within South Carolina. She's the former governor there. He's a current U.S. senator there. I'm just going to get behind her and see what happens. I think Ron DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Nikki Haley are going to battle it out until one is left standing. And then after the first five primaries, and probably at some point before Super Tuesday, everyone's going to be out and this is going to be Donald Trump's race to win. I could be wrong. It could go through Super Tuesday, at which point Donald Trump will essentially have had the nomination. It'll be impossible for anybody to win. But I, I just Tim Scott's not resonating with anybody, and Vivek Ramaswamy is never going to be able to get in between Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley, who are openly fighting with each other on every level of, like, in public, speaking events, social media, you know, asking for donation emails, you name it. Boot like, sponsorships. They're running a fake primary within the fake primary against each other. So It's so weird. It, it it's, it's literally like they're just betting on Trump getting taken out, and they're just hoping. Meanwhile, Donald Trump had a great speaking event. Back at the Trump cave. At the Florida Freedom Summit. And was talking about some of the real problems facing our country right now. Number one, how it's kind of turning into a banana republic. Let's hear him. Turning into? Mm. For seven years, you and I have been fighting side by side to rescue our nation from the evil and sinister forces who hate it and want to destroy it. Now we're approaching the most critical battle of our lives. Exactly one year from tomorrow. One mm. year. We're getting there. Mm. But one year's a long time with the yeah, kind of is. destruction these people can Fuck. do. They're grossly incompetent. <laughs> You'll vote in the most important election in the history of our country. I believe that. You know, I used to say 2016 was the most, and I meant it at the time, but this is maybe far more important because our country is failing. We're a nation that's failing. But we're going to finish the job we started. We did some job, and we're going to finish that job. We're going to finish that job. You know, when he came out, not in the red, white, and blue suit that he's normally wearing, but the old school black, white, and red suit. Oh, nice. Yeah, which is, uh, that's my favorite Trump attire. That's one of the ones he would tend to wear internationally sometimes as well. And I just think it obviously projects, it projects a lot of strength. You know, old reliable is the red, white, and blue. That's iconic for Donald Trump's. But when he wears the black suit with the red tie. He means business. Man looks strong. He outlined a lot of the priorities that he has starting on day one for the American people in his next administration as part of this speaking event that he participated in on Saturday down in Florida. Let's hear that. Back into the Oval Office, we will totally obliterate the rest of the deep state. We're going to obliterate it. And we will together restore law and order in our country. I like that. Need that. We will completely overhaul the DOJ to investigate every Marxist prosecutor in America for their illegal racist and reverse enforcement of the law. And on day one, I will also sign a new executive order to cut federal funding for any school pushing critical race theory, transgender insanity, and other inappropriate racial, sexual, or political content on our children. Daddy likey. And I will not give one penny to any school that has a vaccine mandate or a max, any mask mandate. We're not kidding. There will be no mask mandates. And incredibly that I even have to say this because it's so ridiculous that it could even be a subject. 
I will keep men out of women's sports. And just as I did for four years very successfully, nobody's done it like I did, I will fully uphold our great Second Amendment. Mm. I will fully uphold it. And I will continue to protect innocent life. We will restore quickly free speech, and I will totally secure our elections so catastrophic results like we had cannot be had again. That can't have to have a great country. You need borders and you need free and clear and beautiful elections. And we don't have either. This is what we must do in conclusion. You know, it's funny, too, because he brought back the racism in reverse. (laughs) But he talks about a lot of things that just seem like they're common sense that are completely absent from our country today. And uh, I do like a lot of the segueing they've done on the campaign trail from literally saying the 2020 presidential election was rigged and stolen. We all know it in some facet, whether you're a ballots person, a Zuckerbuck's person, uh, you know, a, a, a box stuffer person. We just see the way it went down in real time. Or all of the above. The Time Magazine article. You had the state legislators being circumvented by their attorney generals or governors changing the laws. You had all of these swing states shutting down in the middle of the night for several hours. Donald Trump was ahead, etc. Now they're kind of outlying it in a way that identifies with people outside of the base saying, if you have a horrible election, you're going to get even worse results. And that's kind of where we're at with the Biden regime. And that's kind of where the country is as a nation right now. Of course, Donald Trump was going to touch on the border and immigration policy as well as part of his speaking event. And then talks about how on day one, he's going to be heavily scrutinizing and even terminating a lot of these fraudulent visas that people seem to enjoy in the United States all the time. Let's hear it. This is not sustainable. These are millions and millions of people. On day one, I will shut down this travesty, terminate all work permits for illegal aliens and demand that Congress send me a bill outlawing all welfare payments to illegal migrants of any kind. Do we have to ask them to leave? We have to ask them to go home. And nips just to, got hard. And we start with the really bad ones first, if that's okay. Some people say, oh, start. We got to get the bad ones out. We have really bad really bad people and we got to get them out of here fast because this is a this is a bomb that's waiting to happen this is a terrible thing and i will invoke the alien enemies act to remove all known and Mm. suspected gang members like ms-13 drug dealers and cartel members from the united states ending the scourge of illegal alien gang violence once and for all the violence is unbelievable we had it close to stop. We took out thousands of MS-13, probably the toughest gang. Uh, History says when you see somebody with tattoos all over their face and bad phrases like uh, destroy the USA, like all sorts of bad things on their face (laughs) and on their forehead. Uh, History says it's not going to work out too well. I love the fact that he could point out those little (laughs) minuscule details. (laughs) Like, you know, it's there. You don't have to. It's an unmentionable. I'm just going to point it out. These people are so disgusting. They have, you know, I hate the USA on their forehead. It's really gross. It's just like, <laughs> you don't get that anywhere else. No. I saw Big Tom Holman, who's going to be joining us in the next couple of weeks. He was on Fox News over the weekend. Was he fired up again? 
Listen, there was somebody, I believe it was Kill Me, but don't kill me if I'm wrong. They were pushing back on him saying, like, listen, you and Donald Trump are going around telling everybody you're going to conduct the largest deportation operation in the history of the United States when he comes back into office. And, and what did he say? Yeah, and? and? And they're like, do you think that's a lot of, like, you know, talk out of the side of your mouth? Do you think that's, Tom Holman's like, absolutely not. As a matter of fact, I'm going to conduct the largest deportation <laughs> operation in the history of the planet. <laughs> I fucking love that guy. Oh. No, and, and, and listen, you got to push back on stuff like that because that's one of the... I'm buying that guy a drink if I ever run across him in a bar. A couple drinks. It's going <laughs> well, to take, take a couple. Yeah. So he... But but it's like one of those things. They're already, already trying to make the largest deportation operation in the history of our country the next, I'm going to build the wall and Mexico is going to pay for it. Donald Trump in his last couple of speaking events has outlined how well, Mexico paid for the wall with over, you know, yeah. nearly 30,000 Mexican soldiers... Lining the camps of Remain in Mexico and stopping people from crossing the border illegally during the Trump administration. I think the amount of money that those people were paid and how much pressure it took off of our essentially society more than paid for the border wall that got built, which yeah. is you know over 400 or 560 some odd miles throughout the course of the first Trump presidency. But, the, you know, they're already looking to make that as like the next thing that they could punch holes in. Don't buy into it. If, if Tom Holman says that the, the there's going to be planes flying 24 seven out of every major American airports filled with illegals and buses driving South all the way through into Mexico. I believe them. And when you talk about how it's going to be the biggest deportation, what was the biggest deportation? What uh, operation operation in American history in the planet, whatever it's going to be that way simply because there's so many people here that even if you, if you were to tackle just a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of what the general public would think was a responsible amount of people to get out who shouldn't be here. Like, all right, we have this 90% rate of criminality that we need to get get out. So these people are going to be the first ones on the list. Okay. Okay, you know what? That's an insurmountable number that we've let in. People on the terror watch list, rapists, murderers, child molesters, Order the whole felons, deal, yeah. felons, people who have criminal records in their country that don't have a criminal record here, so we have no idea about it. It's going to be the, the largest deportation operation by default. Yep. You don't even have to say it. It's going to be. That's just how it works. It's like Trump said, if you start out with just the bad people first, it's going to be the largest number in the history of the world. It's ridiculous. Yeah. You have no idea. You really don't. We talk to these people all the time, and then you have this these congressmen and women senators who go down to the border. They meet with the Border Patrol. They meet with ICE. They meet with Customs. They get the real data. People not just like, don't want Not to like AOC Clinton. Crying in a chain link fence? That's not the real data? Or Chuck Schumer saying that there's only 11 million illegals in the country when they have friggin'. They've you know, been saying that for how long? 30 some odd years, and they've let 10 million more in in just the last three. So they're trying to say that, you know, those people, they they, they leave and then they, you know, rotate? Like they. It's like <laughs> a relay race? Well, with as open as the border as. Uh, yeah, I mean, it kind of is now at this point. Yeah, Congressman Ogles alluded to to start off our show today. That very well may be the case. Guys, wherever you're listening to the show today, hope you're enjoying it. Great slate of guests we've got in here. We're trying to give you all the information on some of the, you know, late-breaking news that's happening throughout the country right now. Just make sure you're subscribed to the show. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio. Find the program. Follow it. Make sure it's downloading to your electronic device. Helps us out big time. And then on social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts. Follow us and hit the notification bell. Donald Trump is quick to point out Joe Biden and trolls him. For all of his lies during his speech down at the Florida Freedom Summit. Let's hear it. Listen, 
The other day, they were talking about truckers. He said he was a trucker. Then they were talking about airline pilots. He said he was an airline pilot. No, no, he said he was an airline pilot. Then they were talking about tractor operators. He said, when I operated a tractor, he never operated a tractor. But probably his biggest sin of all to all of those that like sports and love golf and everything. Oh, here we go. He said he was a six handicapped golfer. <laughs> now, I have to tell you, you don't know many of you about golf, but six handicaps a pretty good golfer. You know, they're percentage wise, not many. And I watched him take a swing. He's not a six. He's not a 12. Oh God. He's not a 25 and he's not a 36. You know, 36 is the max. <laughs> he doesn't qualify for any handicap. He's a six. I have friends, they're very good golfers. They're six handicaps. I say, Joe Biden says he's the equivalent of you. No, it's just a lie. Everything's a lie. The whole thing is a lie. The whole election was a lie. Joe Biden was telling his, you know, frequently debunked Amtrak conductor story yesterday. Oh, he told it again? Well, on the campaign trail. Why don't they just put a shock collar on him just when he starts saying shit that's retarded? Just zap him. Hyping up Bidenomics. I do want to get into some poll numbers before Donald Trump gets into Chris Christie. <laughs> poll that came out over the weekend. I believe this was Sunday. YouGov. 2024 general election poll, CBS News, Donald Trump 51% over Joe Biden 48. And with independence, Donald Trump leads 54% over Joe Biden 10 points behind at 44%. There were some great polls that came out this weekend. Swing state polling average, you're going to like this one, Noah. This is just R versus D. North Carolina, Republicans are up five. Georgia, up four. Arizona, 3.7. Nevada, 2.7. Pennsylvania, 0.7. Mm. Michigan 0.7, Wisconsin 1.5%. And that's a race to the White House poll that came out on Monday. I also saw, let's see, I know we got a couple more here. All voters. If the Republican presidential primary were held today, which of the following candidates would you vote for? Donald Trump is at 50%. Ron DeSantis trails at 12. Haley at 9. Ramaswamy, 3. Pence is no longer in the race. Christie at 5. Scott, 2. Hutchinson's just hanging on. Ada, 1%. Burgum, 0. 14% unsure. If Ron DeSantis got the entirety of the not sure votes, he would still be behind Donald Trump by 25%. Crazy. Crazy. National Republican primary poll that came out this week. This came out yesterday from Trafalgar, 2024 National Republican primary poll. Donald Trump is at 50%. Nikki Haley at 15. DeSantis at 13, so third place Ron. Chris Christie at 5. Ramaswamy 4. Scott 4. Burgum 3. These numbers uh, reflect a change which was conducted a little over a month ago on September 21st. I do want to find this swing state poll. It's the one that's been in the forefront of everybody's mouth for the last couple of uh, days. Before I get to that one, here's another Republican primary poll. This is from Florida Politics. 2024 Republican primary poll. This is in Florida, Noah. Donald Trump, 60%. 
Meatball, 21. Mm. In Florida, Nikki Haley, 6. Christy, 2. Ramaswamy, 1. Head-to-head matchup. Trump versus DeSantis. Guess what? 1% change for Donald Trump. 59% to DeSantis is 29. Donald Trump loses 1% if everyone gets out of the race and Ron DeSantis gets 100% of everyone else's polling numbers. Good for you, Ron. Those boots boots are made for walking. They're made for a lot of stuff. Morning consult poll from today. This is Tuesday morning. 6,000 registered voters. 3,800 GOP. President Trump, 44, 42% over Joe Biden. Joe Biden beats Ron DeSantis in a head-to-head 41-39. In the presidential primary for the Republican side, Trump, 63, DeSantis, 15, Haley, 8, Ramaswamy, 7, Christie, 3, Scott, 2. I'm just going to read off this swing state poll that came out over the weekend that everybody was talking about, and then we'll jump right back into President Trump. And here we go. This is from the New York Times poll, which came out Sunday morning. It was featured on CBS, NBC, ABC, and CNN. Nevada, Donald Trump is up 52 to 41%. In Michigan, Donald Trump leads 48 to 43%. Pennsylvania, Trump is ahead 48 to 44%. Donald Trump beats Joe Biden in Georgia 49 to 43%. In Arizona, he's up 49 to 44% as well. And in Wisconsin right now, that's the only place where Joe Biden still has a lead, 47 to 45%. Five out of six swing states, ones that Donald Trump lost in their entirety during the 2020 presidential election cycle. He now leads in five out of six. Hmm. And is within the margin of error in Wisconsin, where Joe Biden holds a two-point lead. What do you think about those numbers, Noah? Doesn't sound very good for Biden. You know, and, and, and there's a lot of people who speculate when you just talk about Donald Trump's numbers versus a generic Republican. A generic Republican would, you know, pull higher. But that's when you take somebody as inflammatory as Donald Trump's name off the ballot, which lacks the reality of what the real world actually is. Because it's Donald Trump's name that's going to be on the ballot. Now, whether or not Joe Biden makes it, through the primary season or past the DNC convention. Cause I want to remind our listenership, the RNC convention where Donald Trump will be crowned the nominee and achieved three peat next year gives the Democrats a whole 30 days after to figure out what they're going to do in response to Donald Trump's eventual nomination as a GOP nominee for the Republican party. Does that mean if Joe Biden fumbles, Falls down the stairs throughout the course of the... Well, that doesn't surprise anybody anymore. Democrat primary season, are they going to allow him to be the nominee or is there going to be a coup at the convention? We don't know. Those Vegas odds, the selected websites, and things of that nature where it's like the money on the candidate, Donald Trump is currently at 71 cents, up one cent from last week. Nikki Haley's at 14 cents, down one. Ron DeSantis is at eight, down one. And then Vivek held at six. Glenn Youngkin, who's not even in the race, is at four. And then Chris Christie at two up 1% from last week where he was at one. Good job, Chris. You're doing a good job. So even the people that bet money on this shit are all in for Donald Trump still as he has, you know, nearly three quarters of the vote in regards to the Vegas odds. Now, if he, if he gets removed from the ballot in any of these states, which I don't think is actually going to happen because that would set a horrible precedent for the rest of perpetuity with our election systems. But what if he did get removed from a state and then still won anyway? That'd be epic. That's true. You know what else was epic? Donald if, if it was even possible. I don't know if it's possible. I'm not a... The Supreme Court, in my opinion, won't allow it. No, it's for sure. And Donald Trump wasn't going to allow Chris Christie getting booed earlier in the day to go by without mentioning it either. Mm. Let's hear it. I heard they booed Christie off the stage today. Is that true? Good day now. I really say, what's he doing? Look, you know, we're all in a party. We want to win this race. What's he doing? The guy's 
He's at one and a half. Okay? And how about Ada Hutchinson? You have Ada, not Ada. Asa. Ada! No, you had Hutch And I heard he got booed off. Who got more boos? Who got louder boos? Christie or Ada Hutchinson? Christie. No, I heard they virtually booed him off the stage. Because you know what? What's it all about? He's just doing it because Noah. I didn't give him a job in the Chris Christie's in the audience. What, what's he doing? Oh, and really? Why would I do a debate when Christie, oh. sir, I'm sorry, he is not a fat pig, okay, this man? He's Look, he's he is not a fat pig. Christie's on this side of the audience. He looks, he right, looks at right at him. No, it's true. <laughs> and you can't, you can't use the term fat. You're allowed to use the word pig, but not fat. <laughs> no, the man just said, he's a fat pig. And I said, no, he's not a fat pig. So now the press can't kill me because all I'm doing is responding. I'm responding. He is not a fat pig. <laughs> he's just staring at him. Are, are they I putting him on the camera, like the, the split screen? They showed like a large part of the audience and you could see Chris Christie taking up like two chairs and then they go back to Donald Trump. And then after he's like, you know, you, can, you can't say fat pig, but you could you could say pig. And then at the end of that clip right there, Donald Trump's just like wow. doing his trademark That's nose amazing. breathing into the microphone, just staring down Chris Christie. Why would you do a debate <laughs> with him? Why? Because it would be fun. It would be, but politics-wise... It, it would give us four shows worth of material. You wouldn't even have to work. You would just show up and just make fun of Chris Christie for an hour and a half. You know, it's the truth. It's the truth. And uh, this was a strong speaking event for President Trump. He went nearly 80 minutes, which is about his average. But I think the content and uh, level of enthusiasm that he had, and especially after the big week he had... And remember, this is on the heels of a ridiculous amount of travel. Four or five states in six days... In many of those states, especially Nevada and Iowa, multiple events in the same day, dude's pushing 80. Mm. I love the energy. Going to wrap this segment right now with President Trump's trademark closeout before we jump in again with Rhett Burkeen. Excited to have him back on the show today. Let's hear it. If you took the 10 worst presidents in the history of the United States and added them up, they would not have done near the destruction to our country as Joe Biden and the Biden administration have done. They wouldn't have done near. So we are a failing nation. We are a nation in very serious decline. And now these radical left lunatics want to interfere with our elections by using law enforcement. It's totally corrupt and we will never let it happen. If you want to save America from crooked Joe Biden and other people that are probably really running the country, mm, then wow. get every patriot you know, get them out to vote in the Florida primary on March 19th. And 2024, remember, it's our final battle. We're either going to have a country greater than ever before, or we're not going to have a country at all. It's our final battle. Facts. With you at my side, we will demolish the deep state. Okay. We will expel the warmongers from our government, and like we it. will drive out the globalists. We will cast out the communists, Marxists, and fascists. We will throw off the sick political class that hates our country. We will rout the fake news media. We will evict Joe Biden from the White House. And we will finish the job that we so brilliantly started. It was doing so beautifully. The great silent majority is rising like never before. And under our leadership, we're doing it together. 
The forgotten man and woman will not be forgotten any longer. They will not be forgotten any longer. They've been forgotten. They weren't forgotten for four years, but they will not be forgotten any longer. With your help, your love, and your vote, we will put America first, and we will make America great again, greater than ever before. Thank you, Florida. We love you, Florida. God bless you all. God bless you. Thank you. What do you think, Noah? I like it. He hit the strong points. Yeah, hit the really strong points. He hit Chris Christie with the jab. <laughs> and he laid out his plan to do the job that we sent him to the White House to do back in 2016 and make America great again. It was a, a strong performance from President Trump on the heels of some great poll numbers that came out last week. It doesn't seem like anything that anyone in the primary can do gains them any traction. So goes for the legal system, which is stacking the cards in the deck against them right now as well. Obviously, we'll be continuing to track everything that's going on with President Trump, including his huge rally down in Miami this week. We'll have comprehensive coverage on our Friday edition of the show. We're getting ready to jump in with Rep. Rakeen right now. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is hand-picked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. Cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you enter promo code STEAK here, you're gonna get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's the congressman representing Oklahoma 2. Very excited to be sitting down again with Representative Josh Burkeen. Congressman, thanks for coming back on the show. No, thanks, Ron. No, I appreciate you guys having me back on. Well, you guys have had a busy day up on Capitol Hill today. Why don't you give our listenership a little bit of an update on what's going on currently up in the nation's capital? We are moving forward on our appropriation bills, trying to, you know, complete what's only happened four times in the last 50 years of getting all 12 appropriation bills across the finish line, which is actually mandated by federal law. Uh, Shocker to your audience that Congress doesn't complete what's mandated by federal law. But all too often, um, these continuations of 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 continuing resolutions and um, omnibus bills, keep us from being able to complete the people's business. And so what I am excited about is with Speaker Johnson's ascension, um, he really wants to give us the opportunity to finish our 12 appropriation bills. That's happening right now. Um, If we do use a CR, a continuing resolution, my great hope is it will not be a continuing resolution that continues the status quo. That's the problem with continuing resolutions. They've all too often just been the same policy, same spending levels, and uh, I'm okay with, uh, you know, uh, being able to give us a little bit more time, but we've got to deliver results. If we don't start cutting spending, if we don't use the opportunities before us, and it's always, well, we'll, we'll fight the fight next year, that's how you get a $33 trillion gross national debt. Well, no, I, I completely agree with you. And, you know, one of the best parts about watching uh, Speaker Johnson as his speakership has kind of unfolded over the course of the last two weeks is that not only is he someone who presents himself as as 
really bought into the way he's conducted his life, that servant leadership. He wants more people to be included in this process. He doesn't want it to be like every time something happens in the House of Representatives, he needs to go on TV to talk about it. He needs to headline all the fundraising events to talk about it. He wants the people who have their hands in this thing and getting this process back to some kind of semblance of normalcy to be, you know, in a leadership position as well. And it seems like, you know, from the nearly dozen congressmen and women that we've had on the show since he's obtained the speaker gavel, it sounds like everyone's pretty optimistic that this next continuing resolution obviously with the holidays it's kind of you know very tricky with the way you guys are going to work around it but it this will be the thing that will allow for the appropriations process to kind of play itself out and come to a conclusion and it sounds like you're kind of on the same page there as well yeah i just i want to make sure we actually can deliver a, a, a final result i um like what Jim Jordan, Thomas Massey have been talking about, even the potential of uh, going to April, which will mandate a 1% across the board cut if we stay in a CR. Man, if we could stay in a 1% cut year after year after year after year while our economy can grow, um, that gives us a chance. What what doesn't give us a chance is the CBO can, sees as the normal normalcy is about a two percent growth rate and about a four percent growth of uh, growth rate of government that has been kicking our tail for a decade. You know, government growing twice as fast as the as our economy. And Bidenomics ain't helping it out at all either, Congressman. Off to I, I know that's pretty. Yeah, that's not breaking news to you in, in any way. Not shape breaking or form. news. So we <laughs> we got that Inflation Non Reduction Act just cooking away every single day, but. You know, it, it, and, and that's the thing. It goes back into these policies. Something as simple as Israeli aid is, is sending up supposedly a showdown with Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden up in the Senate over at the White House. And, you know, it's really just disgusting to see how some of the people from the other side of the aisle have conducted themselves. We've been watching in real time today as the show kind of played out, more censorship votes and, and things of that nature, a lot of grandstanding and theatrics on the House floor when we know you guys want to get through this appropriations process and get America back to, uh, you know, a little bit of good footing in the world. But a lot of this stuff ties into, I think, think at the forefront of the concern, obviously, in addition to helping our allies in times of need, is what's going on on the U.S. southern border. It seems like it's going to be a very difficult process, although we've heard some pretty, I don't know, good ideas pitched on our show over the course of the last two weeks that Speaker Johnson's looking into to make sure at some point we are going to have some rule of law down on the U.S. southern border. Do you fall into that demographic and feel that you guys are going to be able to come up with some constructive ways to get Alejandro Mayorkas to do his job? Man, look, I... Uh... I hold that hope. Am I optimistic that when they're already flagrantly disregarding 10 different federal statutes that, uh, you know, they're going to have an epiphany? The only way that's going to happen is if the if the pressure out of New York and these liberal states gets so hot and people demand it and they're and they are forced to change because this president decides mm, he can't get reelected if he continues these insane policies on the southern border. Um, I don't think that alone by by uh, policies, we're going to force them to do what's not in their heart because they are violating so many different areas of the federal law, parole being the most glaring one when it's supposed to be on a case by case basis. Federal statute dictates that. And yet they're allowing 30,000 a month to come in uh, specific to four countries, just so many people think they can lessen the, the numbers. And, you know, when Joe Biden won't seem to act on anything outside of foreign aid for countries like Ukraine, you, you, I see you guys are pushing hard with the SHIP Act to make sure that we don't continue to fund both sides of these forever conflicts. Can you tell our listenership a little bit about that as well? 
Well, um, the ability for uh, oil and gas exports to be able to increase the size scope of the economy of Iran is, is, is in, has happened under the watch of the Biden administration because of sanctions that were, that were um, allowed to roll off the table. <laughs> I love what George Washington said um, about advocating liberty through commerce more so than by force. And he wrote that in 1796. If you want to advocate liberty, you can do it more by commerce than by force. And Washington was watching a, you know, a situation in 1796 where we didn't have a whole lot of financial assets and he was trying to uh, keep us out of conflicts that we couldn't afford. Um, man, I, Economic security is national security right now. I have great concerns about what we can afford on the world stage. It's a total different scenario, peace through strength, versus the time when Reagan was saying peace through strength, when we only had a $1 trillion gross national debt. The strength of our economy, the strength of our nation, our debt relative to our GDP, there's only 11 nations that have a higher debt to GDP ratio than us. We're in trouble. And the question is, can we afford to do what we're doing? Now, we can't even afford our own government today. And so I question a lot of our expenditures. That's why Mike Johnson's right call, standing with Israel, but paying for it, was such a shot over the bow to disrupt the status quo in Washington, D.C. How dare we start paying for things? We have to. Uh, I've said this in the last couple of weeks. If you look at what most people don't understand about our budget, our $6.5 trillion spend, we we, Congress only allocates these 12 appropriation bills. About one third of, of our government spending is, is the discretionary side of our budget. Two thirds is what's called our mandatory side. Mandatory means we can't adjust anything except eligibility. That's Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, food stamps. Uh, there's some veteran benefits inside of that. In the 70s, it was one third of our of our total spend was mandatory, where Congress only adjusted eligibility because of payroll tax, et cetera, paying for it, and two thirds was discretionary. Well, now it's only one third is discretionary. Guess what the the total top line number last year was on our on our discretionary spend one point seven trillion. Mm. Guess what our gross national debt our our our, our uh, deficit was this last year one point seven trillion. So what does that mean? That means 100% of our discretionary budget, that means 100% of these 12 appropriation bills that we are ironing out right now are borrowed money from our kids and our grandkids. Every dollar we're spending, and just break that down even further, half of that is defense. What we spend to defend this nation, 100% of it's borrowed. What's going to the education areas and across this nation, 100% borrowed money. 2,300 different government subsidization programs, a litany of different areas borrowed money it's wild it's wild to see the way this is working out but here's the thing there was a big change up on capitol hill this year it started in january culminated a few weeks ago and since then i think a lot more people are not only in tune to the process that's going on but the hard work that you guys are doing congressman there's so much more stuff i want to talk to you out but we know you got a hard out today we'll have you back in a couple weeks always an invitation here on steak for breakfast we're going to live link your congressional website in the show description today but for anybody that wants to check you out and follow the great work that you're doing up there where can they find you uh, Burkeen.house.gov. My last name is, it doesn't uh, sound like it's actually spelled. It's B-R-E-C-H-E-E-N. Uh, you can also find us at Congressman Josh Burkeen on social media. We absolutely love it. And we love sitting down sharing a little bit with you today. This is a Congressman representing Oklahoma too. Representative Josh Burkeen, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks, man. Appreciate y'all. Uh- 
When are you expecting to issue the subpoenas to bring Biden family members in front of your committee? And how many subpoenas are you expecting to issue? Well, I think the subpoenas are imminent. I think this is going to be a big week. Look, first of all, we know Tuesday, uh, my friend Jim Jordan, who's also on the Oversight Committee, but he's chair of the Judiciary Committee, doing a great job investigating the weaponization of the federal government. Uh, he's bringing in uh, special counsel Weiss for a deposition. That is a, a very important part of the overall impeachment inquiry investigation. There are also a, a lot of other documents that I think are about to be released this week pertaining to loans and different things that the, the Bidens have been engaged in that make no sense, uh, that are, are completely counter to what Joe Biden has said publicly. Uh, we're also, as you know, we've subpoenaed a lot of bank documents and it's taken a long time to get these bank documents in. We're waiting on a few more uh, documents to come in that we've successfully subpoenaed, but it's taken forever. And, and again, Maria, I don't think the average person can imagine how many different checking accounts the president's son had. And considering he didn't have a legitimate business, that in itself is an enormous red flag. So once all those come in, I think you're going to see swift action on, on Biden's. And I would, I would predict uh, somewhere around two dozen subpoenas uh, in the very near future. What do you think about that, Noah, as we're hitting the ground running here, getting News 3 off and out of the starting blocks? Let's get those subpoenas going. Let's do it. Some subpoena coladas? Subpoena coladas. <laughs> It's, you know, it's, it's been a process that James Comer, Jim Jordan, and, and Jason Smith have been on with the Biden impeachment inquiry with combining that with oversight. The House Judiciary Committee, which is going to be having David Weiss, the former, I don't know, whatever he was, attorney general in Delaware who led Hunter Biden off on everything. He'll be in for deposition tomorrow with Andy Biggs and friends. So we'll be looking to track that and have Congressman Biggs back on the show at some point in the near future. But we want to see it. We've already started to get the receipts. We've seen the checks, the loan repayments. We're starting to see how this whole process worked with the Biden family, especially with them, you know, padding their own bank accounts and bank accounts of family members adjacent to the former vice president and senator. But here's the thing. We want to see Hunter Biden, Jim Biden, subpoenaed and brought in before the House. We want to see at some point Joe Biden have to defend himself and give deposition in regards to these allegations that are being formulated against them. And then at the end of the day, we're going to have to see how it goes. I mean, what kind of, what kind of defense is he going to have? Oh, I don't know what I was doing. Do Look you, at the thing. You think this guy can even talk? Come anymore? on, man. Yeah, I know. Is it going to be one of those things where it's just like legal counsel talks for Joe Biden? Yes. They're not going to let him do anything on the record where they don't have complete control of what the fuck he's saying. We're going to be doing a little, uh, Hodgepodge of news here, and and you know, I don't know if you saw your friend Cookie Monster was doing the Sunday morning. <laughs> no, he's circuit. mad. He's so mad that he's not the fucking guy anymore. The darling. Mm. Yeah, it was interesting to see him kind of melting down and begging to talk to Donald Trump, and you know this, that, and the other thing. But I saw Speaker Johnson was on Larry Kudlow yesterday and was talking about Joe Biden's failed border policies and. Listen, the amount of stuff that Joe Biden wants to get done in regards to keeping this border open has nothing to do with a lack of funding as they've had it with everything from the Inflation Non-Reduction Act to aid for Ukraine. Let's hear it. Uh, Mayorkas of DHS virtually agreed that potential terrorists 
are crossing the border. Chinese yep. nationalists are crossing the border, uh, as well as all the illegals in the catch and release. I mean, I would think we need a full national conversation about that and a total change in policy. Yeah, and, and of course, Larry, all of that was completely foreseeable. When they opened up the border under Mayorkas' direction and President Biden himself, they allowed for this this serious situation that we have. And now the FBI has, has said, Director Ray said just a few days ago, that they, they suspect there might even be terrorist cells. Uh, they're setting up and planning only, only God knows. Uh, against American citizens. So we're to be on alert. Well, yeah, of course, when you keep the border open and you allow dangerous people to come in, you open yourselves up for that kind of chaos. We've been, we've been working with everything we have for the last nearly three years to get that border closed and secured, and they've ignored us until now. We're going to force the issue, and I think the American people want us to do that. And that goes directly into the funding that Joe Biden wants for Ukraine. I don't know how creatively they're going to do it. It seems like, even though we've asked probably up to this point a half a dozen Congressman, how they're going to be able to figure out to get the most important components of HR2 into bills that Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer will actually sign and pass. And then you run into the whole problem of once this thing becomes a thing, is Alejandro Mayorkas going to actually adhere to anything that the House passes up through the Senate and Joe Biden eventually signs? Uh, I I have not been given any uh, uh, guidance about things uh, and whether or not things... Uh, uh, become things in the uh, operational um, standpoint. Uh. <laughs> Mr. Secretary, we, we, we're asking for you to provide us with some data. Uh, any requests for data, I will have to uh, mm. simply say that I, I don't have the data. <laughs> I'd give it a 9 out of 10. I was trying, I got lost. Remember, that's the former co-captain of the Beverly Hills men's varsity uh, tennis however, team. However, if you need some data about my tennis scores and uh, the length of my shorts, uh, I do have that data readily available in a PowerPoint that I can pres uh, provide a as necessary. They, they were some pretty short shorts. Well, why wouldn't they be? It was interesting. He had a little bit of a fro going on, too. Now he's completely bald. Well, you know. Happens to the best of us. That's that's why the shorts aren't short anymore. I'm looking at you, kid. So, as I already mentioned, Cookie Monster jumped on ABC's Sunday morning talk show to cry and complain about the money that he's not getting in addition to the attention he's no longer shown from Joe Biden as he misses him. It's the Wolverine meme where he's <laughs> stroking the outside of the frame. <laughs> it's Joe Biden's uh, direct deposit number. But he also talked about the fact that Donald Trump has alluded to being able to end the conflict between Russia and Ukraine in less than 24 hours. Donald, Donald Trump was going to allude to the fact that he's going to end uh, Zelensky's wife's fucking shopping sprees, too. Cookie Monster said that Donald Trump <laughs> could bring the conflict to a close in 24 minutes if he came to Ukraine and listened to him. Don't believe me? No, I thought he said he couldn't. Let's hear it. No. Zelensky, former President Trump, who is the GOP frontrunner, has said that if he is reelected, he could end this war in 24 hours. What is your reaction and message to former President Trump about that? Uh, former President Trump said that about 24 hours that he can manage it and finish the war. For me, uh, what can I say? So he's very welcome, first of all. He's very welcome. President Biden was here and he did not I think he understood war. some details, which you can understand only being here. So I invite President Trump, if he can come here, 
I will need 24 minutes. <laughs> yes, 24 minutes, not more. Apo jasnite, yes, not more, 24 minutes to explain President Trump that he can't manage yeah, this he he can't. war. Mm. He can't bring peace because of the Putin. If the Putin, always Putin. have if. If he is not trying and if he is not ready to give our territory uh, for this terrible man, for, for, for the Putin. If for the you Putin. are not ready to give it, if you are not ready mm. to give our independence, he, 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 can't, he can't manage it. Yes. Yes. Not his independence, his independency. No. The man tells the truth. You know what fucking blows my mind, Noah? What? 15 years ago, this guy was dancing around. In assless chaps? With his wiener flying all over the place, and Vladimir Putin was in the audience laughing at him. Now, it's like... You You're know, saying the Putin was it, in the audience? It's like that... Um, the Putin was in the, the audience. That Jim Carrey movie where he lives in the bubble, and everybody watches him on TV. The Truman Show? It's like that part where you run out of extras, so you start rolling the same people through, and you're like, hey, wait a minute. It's like, you really could... Seven billion people on the planet, you couldn't find one other fucking person to replace this guy, not knowing that there's video receipts of him, like, doing the helicopter in ass cheekless chaps. But it, it's just wild to me. And, and then that's not even the best part of it. Did you did you hear... I'm sure our listenership already has, but did you hear the part where he actually begs for money? Oh, yeah. How great is that? Well, <laughs> I mean, okay, so... If your your terms are that we have to go back to the borders from before your puppet regime was installed, then yes, Donald Trump is not going to be able to to end the conflict in 24 hours. But if we are rational and we look at how the fucking entire global stage is set and those areas in Ukraine that don't want to be Ukraine, they they basically just want to be Russia anyway. Remember that a map, lot of them. Map I sent you the other day. Yeah, the Ukrainian gains in the last. <laughs> it was like somebody splattered a couple blotches of paint on the map. Oh, it's so bad. No, but there is no way, unless we're going to catapult ourselves into actual World War Three with Russia, which we have no reason to do over meaningless villages in Ukraine that don't mean anything. It doesn't matter. The Donbass region doesn't want to be part of the Ukraine. They basically just want to be Russia again. Soviet Union, whatever you want to call it. Crimea as well. Crimea River. And it'll eventually be Odessa, like Colonel McGregor said. He'll be back Friday, Noah. You know what's funny? You know what stories are starting to grace the mainstream media now? What, McGregor said it on our show first? And he said it on Tucker before that. Breaking news. There's a lack of bodies in the Ukrainian army where now the average age of a soldier on the front line is 43 years old. Hmm, who said a third of the population left Ukraine at the start of the conflict and would never return, and another third of it was eradicated <laughs> by the Russian military? I so mean, weird. Colonel McGregor, right again. I mean, let's not knock 43-year-olds. I, I feel like I could do some damage on a battlefield. I remember 43 like it was a couple years ago. I'm 43 right now, I think. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. I think it would be very irresponsible of me and, and not appropriate for our listenership not to include the begging. Edward Russell, you did a great one. That feeling when your credit card gets declined but you're still trying to buy a beer for the boys at the club. <laughs> the look. Let's hear it. You can't give us, can't give us some financial support. Okay, okay, please, give us a credit and we will give you back money. 
after the war. What? What? <laughs> Please, <laughs> credit. Give us the credit. We will give you back money after the war is over. He no, was, he was not. so animated <laughs> with his hands. It was just like he's literally becoming Cookie Monster. We mani- we manifested it. <laughs> but like my kids do this shit. When they want something, yeah, like and they're begging, no, it. no, yeah. I'll pay it back after college. I clean my room. <laughs> Why can't I get the other toy? Man, it's it's awful. You know, and this comes as part where Democrats are, are getting divided now over the. Uh, I hate to say it, but I'm getting a lot of pleasure out of watching fucking Zelensky. <laughs> hey, we love it here on the show. We'll we'll love it. I might actually play that clip for McGregor <laughs> on, on Friday and see he's he's going to get triggered by that one. But here's the thing: now you see Democrats divided over the. Israeli war with Hamas. You, you like in real time today on Tuesday. It's now one o'clock on the East Coast, and Rashida Tlaib is in another censorship hearing. In addition to that, you've had Bernie Sanders come out over the weekend and defying the squad for free Palestine and for the river to the sea bullshit that they're promoting through via their congressional offices. Bernie Sanders is saying, yeah, that's not a friendly statement. The river to the sea. That doesn't mean like we're just going to go for a walk. No, that's the eradication of the Jewish nation. Period. I mean, yeah, the people and and, you know, Bernie Sanders out there saying not only should there be no ceasefire, he's not even a big fan of humanitarian pauses. Bernie's not saying from the mittens to my beanie cap. He would once again, (laughs) dude, I, I keep sending the meme to, Listen, I got to say, Anthony, we hope Lauren's on the show Friday. I know you asked me this morning if, if we'd be available Friday. You know we got a show. But I did send you the meme the other day. I'm once again asking you to finalize <laughs> your congresswoman on our podcast. We love you. Uh, I, I, listen, I give Joel and then Larry over at Byron's office the same hard time every week. We all want him on the show. Hey, look, we, we've just added a new one. I talked to Speaker Johnson this week, and now I'm going to start bugging the shit out of his comms director every single day until he comes on the show. You've been warned. Our listenership deserves it. Hey, you know what? We didn't get where we're at right now. By saying, okay. In the basement. <laughs> we'll, we'll wait for you to get back to us. Yeah. Our show didn't start off with our former host falling through the podcasting table <laughs> because we used to get too drunk on our variety program. Now we oh. are we are like, uh, who's that guy that hawks gold on Fox News? I remember William when he, Devane. When he fell through the table. We're becoming the William Devane of podcasts. Hey, listen, your comms director should invest in some of these mainstream media shows, but you got to get a little gold and silver on steak for breakfast every once in a while. Yeah. But I'm saying, Bernie Defiant, you have a pseudo-insurrection. People breaching the outer fence of the White House grounds over the weekend. Ah, they didn't breach it. They were yanking on it. Did somebody get through? Yeah, a couple people got over. Oh, no shit. Yeah, that, that one. Dan Scavino even put out, you know, said that this, the White House <clears throat> Secret Service men are some of the finest anywhere on the planet and we'll defend, you know, our freedoms and, and Joe Biden to it's, the death. It's interesting though. So somebody was climbing over a fence insurrection and didn't get shot in the face. Mm. So weird. Strange. Well, there was a guy walking around Capitol Hill with an AR today and he didn't get shot in the face either. He got tased yeah, in the face. Yeah, that seems like that's to get shot. He got tased in the face. Yeah. Right that's, outside of the Senate building. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I don't think I ever want to get tased in the face. Sure. Don't probably tightens up your skin though. Gets those chin. Yeah, and, and as we're going off the rails a little bit, I want to remind everybody, Theo Wold, former deputy assistant to President Trump, awesome guy doing great work at the Claremont Institute right now, is going to be in on the back end of this segment to round out the show today. We are going to segue to a little bit of domestic politics and kind of bring it back to uh, the 2024 presidential race. So everybody saw the big nothing burger that was 
Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds' endorsement of Meatball Ron DeSantis yesterday. <laughs> this is probably one of the most telegraphed things I've ever seen in my life and in turn goes hand-in-hand hand with the awful poll numbers that they both have as America's top two least popular governors. Ouch. Yep, don't believe me. I'm looking at a poll right now, which don't came out. on a T-shirt. Came out just a few days ago. This is uh, from the Morning Consult. Kim Reynolds, 47% unfavorability rating, just ahead of Ron DeSantis at 45-1-2. Dang. Yep, Tate Reeves of Mississippi, who's up for re-election today, and then a long list of Democrats all the way down to Greg Abbott, who's at like 11, round out the top 12. So you have America's most popular and unpopular governors, Ron DeSantis and Kim Reynolds being one, two, least popular. Now in a little endorsement ship. Mm. I think I got a shot chaser from Donald Trump too. This was him over the weekend. If and when Kim Reynolds of Iowa endorses Ron DeSanctimonious, who is absolutely dying in both the polls in Iowa and nationwide. I'm going to read that over. If and when Kim Reynolds of Iowa endorses Ron DeSanctimonious, who is absolutely dying in the polls both in Iowa and nationwide, it will be the end of her political career in that MAGA will never support her again, just as MAGA will never support DeSanctis again. Two extremely disloyal people getting together is, however, a very beautiful thing to watch. They can now remain loyal to each other because nobody else wants them. Yeah, That's the shot. And then here's the chaser via President Trump's true social account last night. Why would anybody endorse Ronda Sanctimonious, who is like a wounded bird falling from the sky? His poll numbers are terrible. He is totally against ethanol. It's an homage to Iowa. And fought to destroy Social Security and Medicare. Well, the nation's most unpopular governor, Kim Reynolds of Iowa, just endorsed him. What's that all about? So there's the chaser. And this goes back to the fact that, you know, months ago it was being leaked to the mainstream press when Ron DeSantis was doing a little bit better-ish in the polls and not placing third and fourth in many of the first five primary states, that him and Kim Reynolds would eventually form a ticket to run as the, you know, Republican Party's nominee. That wet dream is obviously never going to happen. And it's just so interesting to see the way these people operate. You know, Kim Reynolds loved Donald Trump's endorsement, asked for Donald Trump's endorsement. As, as late as July of 2022, she was putting positive posts on her social medias, including Twitter, of her and President Trump together. And in a little over a year, has shunned the 45th president and is now in bed with meatball. Mm. How does that make you feel? In bed with meatball? Yeah. Sounds greasy. And you know the only thing that these two people can do, or, or just about anybody that goes about who goes against President Trump, can do is cope and seethe. They did an exclusive interview with NBC yesterday ahead of Kim Reynolds' announcement of her endorsement of Ron DeSantis. Let's hear them do just as such. They're running for office. I, I consider them friends. I've had the opportunity to campaign with them. I appreciate all of them stepping forward and putting their lives and their livelihoods on, on the line to have the opportunity to represent this country. But I have to take a look at everybody. As somebody who's a leader, you should want people who are delivering big victories for their constituents, oh. standing up for conservative values, oh. which Kim has done. And it's almost like with Donald Trump, if you don't kiss the ring, you could be the best governor ever and he'll trash you. You could be a terrible, corrupt politician, but if you kiss his ring, then all of a sudden he'll praise you. 
Like I said, coping against <laughs> you. You know, if Donald Trump was some anomaly politician who was even considered in the same category of these losers, who wasn't already the president of the United States, it would be one thing. Mm-hmm. Disregard everything I just said because he was all of these things. Oh, right. He's more than an anomaly. He's the clear and defined leader of the party, and he's the former president of the United States. His last term was last term. It's not like he's been out of politics for a decade or so and he's, you know, dusting off the red, white, and blue suit to get out on the campaign trail on TV, give it a go one more time. He knows that this time that he has, not only in politics, but probably on this planet, is finite. And it seems like, if you haven't noticed, maybe you've heard of it, all he wants to do is make America great again. I want that too. Yeah, a lot of people want it. Apparently, Ron DeSantis and, and Kim Reynolds would rather eat corn together than and hate ethanol instead of making America great again, which is fine because their political careers are over and I don't want anything to do with them and I don't want them near any President Trump in any context once this race is over as well. You know, leave it up to people like the Dilly Meme team and everybody else that just absolutely posterize them online 24-7 to make it so. But I see places like Fox News in their coverage of Donald Trump's Manhattan case and in the surprising polls that came out which showed Donald Trump leading in all of these swing states over the weekend, might be turning the other cheek and and warming back up to the 45th president as well. Let's hear this. A new poll from the New York Times spells trouble for President Biden in 2024. The current president now losing to former President Trump in head-to-head polls from five of six swing states. John, good evening. A year before the 2024 presidential election, a New York Times-Siena poll finds former President Trump beating President Biden in five of the six key battleground states, winning by an average of 48 to 44 percent among registered voters. Trump takes Nevada, Arizona, Pennsylvania, Georgia and Michigan. Biden's only win is in Wisconsin by just two points. Stunningly, Trump has cut Biden's lead with black and Hispanic voters in half. The president's favorability among non-white voters under 45 plummeting by 33 points since 2020. Support from non-white voters over 45 is down 13 points. You know, and here's the thing. They keep pointing out that Nevada poll. We'll probably hear something on it a little bit later in our show today as well. Now, no, we were pretty heavily involved in in the Nevada races. We had the current governor and, you know, the Senate candidates from that state on our show throughout the course of the 2022 midterm election cycle. Mm-hmm. It was weird to see places like Nevada, which never incurred top five highest in the nation gas prices, top five highest unemployment rate, fentanyl deaths, illegal border crossings, rampant crime, and all these other things that happened to the state. Top five, top one. It turned into a top five, top one shithole. Mm. And it seems like... It is the top one shithole. I think if the 2022 midterm elections were maybe a month or two later than they actually were, Adam Laxalt would probably be the senator from Nevada. Oh, a thousand percent. And, And I think you're seeing such a wide margin in the poll right now of Donald Trump, who, you know, again, did not win that state in 2016 or 2020, beating Joe Biden by double digits well with outside the margin of error because people fucking had it. Mm-hmm. This is affecting their kids, the value of the dollar, the way that they do business. It's a huge state for, you know, refining minerals and uh, all that construction stuff that goes on up there. It's just so many facets of what makes Nevada great just aren't happening right now, and it does has everything to do with Bidenomics. Yeah. 
We're going to be talking to Theo Wold in just a couple minutes right now. I want to remind everybody who's listening to the show today, Last Call, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, follow the show. Make sure it's downloading on your electronic device. Helps us out big time. Maybe give us a five-star rating, even write a review. Mm. Twitter, get her true social and Instagram are our social media accounts. Find the Steak for Breakfast podcast one. Follow it. Hit the notification bell. You'll thank us later. All right, wrapping it up here. I, I just want a little bit more of coping and seething. <laughs> I, was, I, I took way too much pleasure in that. You know, these polls do not define what will be the eventuality of all of them. But here's the thing. It's pretty eye-opening, to say the least. I, I did hear that guy on Fox News, the commentator, mention Hispanics and African-Americans. I think Donald Trump pulled 8% of African-American males in the whatever age reigns in 2020. If that number gets anywhere close to 20, I'm talking like 18-ish percent, 19%, God forbid even 20, this is going to be an electoral landslide like we haven't seen in a while. Mm. There is a lot of coping and seething going on in the mainstream media. Number one, from the conservative side, which, again, is being forced to cover Donald Trump. Thank God, after all this time, it doesn't have to be just us and, and a few others anymore. But also, on the other side of the aisle, the progressive networks like MSNBC, not so much on Nicole Wallace's show or Joy Reid's, but you know, in some of the other regular programming that they have there, and definitely on CNN. They are sounding the alarms. We're doing so this morning. Saw it on the way over here as our last audio clip of the day. Let's check it out. Reading in the crosstabs, the most important part, as Phil reminds us, just all of those, from women to Hispanic voters, black voters, 22% of black voters behind Trump, that is not seen in the modern era for a Republican frontrunner, right? I mean, wow. It's startling. <laughs> I, I, I looked at the, the Democratic response, uh, Kevin Munoz, the, the spokesman for Biden, and this idea that you know, we have a year, we can turn things around. I think you have to look at this being a challenge from the very beginning, right? Black voters from the very beginning were saying that we will help you get Joe Biden into office. Um, but, you know, this is not necessarily our preference. Uh, this was uh, about democracy and saving democracy. Oh, and so here we are a year later. Uh, he has not been able to change their impression. Black home ownership is down. Uh, going to the store, you know, even if uh, jobs... Uh, have improved in terms of numbers, the the prices that people are paying just it doesn't resonate with them. So Bidenomics, all of the things that Biden has done to try to connect, it's not connecting with this group. And black unemployment was quite low during the Trump administration. And low, but lower now. Lower it's, now. It's the, yeah, but it's it's. The, but he said it all the time. Trump right. said it all. The time. He had a, an, a. And you know that's the funny thing. How you know? I'm sure you can hear and just cut through the noise and hear all these people, which probably make a lot more money than both of us put together are so absolutely full of shit. They were saying that the Democrats cater to the African-Americans, the blacks, essentially, to say, you know, oh, yeah, you got to put Joe Biden in the White House. And then this lady saying, like, oh, yeah, the African-Americans said, okay, we'll do it to save democracy. Oh, perfect. But now less than three years later, they want to continue to save democracy by putting the guy into the White House who they were saving democracy from back in 2020. Hmm. It makes no fucking sense. Yeah, not so much. So, I mean, anybody else but Donald Trump, you'd have a, like, sort of valid argument. But if you're saying, like, <laughs> these people are going over now to the person who they saved democracy from just three years ago, it's the biggest bullshit narrative of all. Their failed policies globally and everything that has happened domestically is the only reason that any crosstab is migrating over to Donald Trump. Not in a legal fashion. We don't like illegals migrating anywhere. Mm. Legal votes. 
And the thing is, you're going to see this as a developing story. You're going to hear arguments from both sides of the aisle. You're going to hear arguments from within the Republican Party that are still going to go out there and try to feed you with the bullshit narrative that Donald Trump is not the guy. Trust us. There ain't anybody else in that Republican primary that can do a better job. I don't care if Glenn Youngkin wins the entirety of the House and Senate tonight. It's not going to be enough to push him into this race, and it's not going to be enough to push him ahead of Donald Trump in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, no. So that's kind of the news that was. Gave you a little hodgepodge on the back end. We're going to be jumping in with former Deputy Assistant to President Trump, Theo Wold, now to round out the show. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. Hi, this is Beard over at Beard Vet Coffee. What's wrong with America today is that Americans are putting convenience over values. We need to start thinking about our dollar as a vote. We need to start using those dollars to support companies that believe in our values and aren't afraid to take a stand. That's us at Beardvet Coffee. We're not another pretend conservative company that puts a pew-pew on the packaging to fake align with our principles. We don't identify as America first. We live America first. We're vet-founded, vet-focused, and obviously bearded. So, if you haven't had a cup of Beardvet, buy a bag, help us continue to support veteran charities every month. And as we always say, stay awake, not woke. Use promo code STEAK for 10% off your order. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Tuesday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, he was the acting assistant attorney general in the Office of Legal Policy of the Department of Justice, and he was the deputy assistant to President Trump for domestic policy during the Trump administration. He also did a little work with Senator Mike Lee, who we love here on the show. Joining us again, Theo Wold. Thanks for coming back. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back on. It's good to be with you. Man, it's been busy since the last time we talked to you. What's been going on in your neck of the woods? Uh, suing and being sued. I was serving as the Solicitor General of Idaho, so uh, filing about 125 different lawsuits against the Biden administration, very actively involved in a number of cases on uh, Second Amendment rights being challenged by ATF and the Department of Justice under uh, President Biden and doing a lot of work to make sure that the miners, farmers, ranchers here in Idaho, Idaho can keep doing what they do best uh, and, and being free of the uh, regulatory intervention from the EPA. Sounds like you served previously in the Trump administration with all the lawfare that's being waged against you. What about the lawsuits coming back your way? What can you tell our listenership about that? Uh, you know, nothing like what uh, Jeff Clark or John Eastman have seen, no, nothing of that sort uh, of that significance. But I will say, you know, we ended up spending about $16,000 out of pocket to fight various challenges that were brought to my uh, admission to the bar here in Idaho. One of which I think your listeners will find entertaining. Uh, the charge was essentially that I advocated for the violent overthrow of the United States government. And the justification was that I was still employed by Donald Trump on January 7th of 2021. Oh, God. <laughs> well, Theo, that sounds horrible. I'm sorry for you and your family that you're having to go through that. Obviously, all the stuff that's going on with the J6 stuff is uh, just a big sham. I mean, we, we've seen it. You know, we're very optimistic that new speaker Mike Johnson is going to be releasing a lot of that footage that seems to be hotly debated amongst America First. I was in a, a Twitter space with Matt Gates over the weekend, and he kind of laid it out how it's going to be you know, segmented 5,000 hours here, 7,000 hours there. But do you think as the American people are going to start to get more of an encapsulation of what went down on that day and how it went down and, you know, all the failures we had systematically across the board due to the, you know, Nancy Pelosi's and Muriel Bowser's of the world that, that a lot of people who have been incurred in lawfare, much like yourself, will, will, will start to finally see justice? 
I hope so. I mean, I, I think there are important discussions occurring on the right right now about what we can do to beef up an infrastructure, a legal infrastructure to provide assistance to those who are wrongfully imprisoned. Uh, and then also to start providing countermeasures, counteroffensives uh, to things like the Project 65 that has targeted, um, you know, people like John Eastman or even some junior attorneys whose names ended up on some of the election challenge filings and have subsequently faced, you know, disbarment proceedings, ethical challenges, or have had their roles at law firms terminated. So I, I think that's really important. And I think to your to your specific question, are, are people going to wake up? I think in, in some ways, uh, it will be less the release of the video. I think that will be important. But you know how the propaganda machine, machine of the deep state will work. They, they will, uh, you know, make arguments about context or they will uh, challenge the authenticity of, of certain, you know, smoking guns. But what will be more helpful in the long term are uh, more and more incidences like we saw this past weekend in Washington, D.C. with the pro-Palestine march, where all these folks, um, particularly, you know, the Mitt Romneys of the world or the, the sort of rhino squish House members who voted for the January 6th committee, uh, those same people have been silent about the desecration of the monuments in D.C., about the attack on the White House complex. So I, I think a lot of Americans start to see that and it's like, well, okay, over here you said it was vandalism of public buildings, it was obstruction of official proceedings, and you threw these guys into solitary confinement in D.C. dungeons. Over here they're doing the same thing and you let them walk around. In fact, you, you're giving them money and you're bailing them out of, of local and county jails. Yep. Something uh, doesn't add up here. And I think that was true in the summer of love, but now we're seeing it once again and I, I think a lot of Americans are are starting to realize that the two tier track, two track justice system isn't just a cute phrase on Twitter. It's a real thing. Oh, it's, it's a real is. thing. I mean, you have as early as right now as we're having this interview. It's the three o'clock hour on the East Coast and up on Capitol Hill. Karine Jean Pierre is uh, is answering questions in the White House press pool and said any and all questions and concerns regarding what happened outside of the White House, the breach of the White House fence, the vandalism that happened throughout Washington, D.C. this weekend and other cities across the U.S. can be referred directly to the Secret Service as she who speaks on behalf of the air quoting now president of the United States have no comment on it at all. Yeah, astounding. I mean, it's just simply astounding. And that's not just because uh, she can't manage her way out of, you know, the, the hypocrisy trap. It's it's that I think uh, the folks who are in charge currently who sit in the White House and their smugness and arrogance actually are pleased to have invited this. I mean, because this is a part of their project, right? Uh, whether it's decapitating uh, St. Junipero Serra statues or vandalizing Catholic churches or toppling statues of Christopher Columbus or vandalizing uh, veteran cemeteries, anything to rob honest American citizens of their patrimony it fits into the whole narrative of decolonizing the country and harming or at least intimidating the settlers, right? That, that's the new agenda. Uh, America's a settler nation too. And just like uh, whether it's IDF soldiers in Southern Israel or uh, veterans living in Brooklyn, you will be punished for your, your, your part in colonization. 
Yeah, it's, it's wild, the stuff that's going on. And then, you know, you, you focused a lot on domestic policy when you were in the Trump administration. Theo, how much of this that we're seeing now, especially with, like, let's just say the pro-Palestine marches and, you know, the, the abuse of the immigration system and how, how tied together are those two things? I mean, I don't think that all of these people are, you know, white American students who are filling up the streets and causing all this vandalism and, and producing all of this anti-Semitic hate across the country right now. I think it, it, it's got a lot bigger, you know, scope that needs to be looked under. And I think you could probably give our listenership a little insight into that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the most obvious takeaway from these marches and you're exactly right. So they were coordinated here in this country, but also coordinated in most of the leading capitals around the world. That's a, a subject for another day who's funding that coordination and, and who's actuating it. Um, but I think the, the fundamental sort of through line through these demonstrations and what you saw in large part in 2020 is it really exposes the short-sightedness of immigration policy, especially from Republicans pre-Trump. So that for the last 30 to 40 years, the consensus position on the Republican side on immigration was importing people uh, in fact, importing people by the millions is good because it's good for business, right? Cheap labor keeps wages suppressed. It benefits corporations. And most of these people come from uh, religious backgrounds, whether they're Muslims or Central American Catholics. And th that means they're ripe for the picking. They're, they're voters who share our traditional values. Uh, and instead, what we're seeing now is that you essentially have a massive class, almost a parallel society existing inside of the United States of people who have not only not assimilated, who not only do not share our cultural ideals, and who not only do not think like most Americans, but are actually antagonistic to the very ideas that makes America a functioning republic. They are opponents of the American way of life. And it's not just that these people are cheering on terrorism or genocide or the rape of teenage girls or the beheading of, of infants. It, it's that they actually believe in the BLM uh, far left deconstruction project. America is a great evil and we will hollow it out from the inside. So if, if anything, I mean, this is, you know, this past weekend, the past couple of weeks really are the, the greatest rejoinder uh, to the Cato libertarian import them all as cheap workers project, which is essentially, it's not about the economy. Immigration is not about the economy. Importing millions of people, I mean, Jefferson says this in the notes on Virginia, if you bring in people who do not have a Republican character, and he means small r Republican, people who believe in self-governance, you are signing yourself up for any form, you name it, under the sun, any form of totalitarian government. Uh, and that and that's what we're dealing with. So it's not dollars and cents on a ledger sheet. It's it's not wages or, you know, exploitable labor for the farm uh, lobby industry. It's really about we have now brought in people who are not just opposed to uh, the way we think, the way we live, uh, the way we want to govern ourselves, but are actually going to actively fight us to build a different regime. Yeah, and eventually get themselves in the politics. We've seen it with people like Rashida Tlaib, obviously Elon Omar, places like Europe and the UK and Germany, where we've seen you know children of immigrants who have never assimilated to the ways and standards of those places and countries. You know, reach uh, prominent positions like the mayor of the UK or or people in the you know highest facets of the German government. You've got the same problems in France and Italy right now as well, and it's just 
it's wild to see that we've already seen this unfold across the globe and we're allowing it, you know, to happen here all as, you know, part of the Marxist and socialist plan to just kind of change the entirety of the way the American Republic was founded. And, and, you know, a, a lot of that goes into in real time as all this plays out, covering up the narrative, which is where I kind of want to segue next with you, CEO. We're just 24 hours out of part of the Tranifesto being leaked to the media obviously we saw yesterday did you coin that one or is that from somebody else oh no that's been going around i can't take credit for that one but steven crowder and his team did a really good job in in getting some of that released out to the public yesterday obviously it's created a firestorm on, on social media and in the mainstream press they've all been able to but confirm that those pages are accurate there's actually some active investigations into a couple officers within that uh tennessee police department on on you know people that had access to it and, and who could have leaked it to Steven Crowder. But here's the thing. No, they're going to pee slap somebody for that one. When you talk about the, the narrative that's been yeah. covered up for over the last year, stemming from that incident where now we can confirm this was a deeply mentally ill person who wanted to do one thing and one thing only kill white people solely for the fact that they were white. What does it say to the narrative that the white house and the entire, you know, Democrat apparatus has kind of held themselves up on when, when it comes to the things like, you know, several of the last mass shooters and people who have gone out and harmed people in public in America over the course of the last few years have had to deal with these mental health issues. And, and in a lot of terms been, you know, sucked up into that whole trans culture thing. Yeah. I think uh, there, there's a, there's a bridge here between what we're seeing with the pro Palestine movement, which really is just, as you said, it's, it's part of the same Maoist, uh, revolutionary vanguard uh, like BLM. Uh, there's a bridge between that and the manifesto in, in Nashville. First off, um, these ideas are emboldened because they're shared by the academic left uh, and they're propagated by most of, of the institutions of higher learning in this country. Great report out today about the billions of undeclared donations that most of the leading in academic institutions in the country receive from foreign regimes. And the money essentially uh, is almost a one-to-one in the growth of DEI, anti-Semitism, anti-Americanism, the hiring of far-left professors. So they have essentially uh, created an intellectual architecture to then sort of indoctrinate a whole generation, Gen, you know, Gen Z, a whole generation of foot soldiers to march on uh, law-abiding uh, American citizens. And I, and I think here, you know, uh, Senator Vance said it quite well. I mean, the anti-whiteness movement was mainstreamed by American universities and corporations. Uh, the same folks who gave donations to BLM, who turned a blind eye to Waukesha yep. and violence that was specifically targeted against, uh, in particular, white working class Americans. Uh, those folks need, now need to be held responsible uh, in the light of what we're learning out of things like uh, out of uh, Nashville. So I think they're, 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 they're linked and they're related. And the, the punchline here is essentially that when you've imported, again, millions and millions of people who come here uh, antagonistic to the American way of life, and they are armed now with an intellectual architecture and increasingly a legal apparatus that justifies racism, I mean, this is just racism repackaged. Now the racism is targeted against whites. It is racism repackaged. It's essentially giving internal enemies legal cover and academic intellectual firepower to push their deconstruction of the American Republic. 
Yeah, it's wild to watch in real time. And, you know, thank God we've got people like you out there working hard to you know, educate and bring information out to the American people who are thirsting for it, I believe, at this part as they see their country slipping away. Obviously, President Trump has been huge on the campaign trail, leading in just about every poll imaginable on the planet in regards to the primary and, and looking really good in places, even swing states that he, uh, air quoting now, lost in 2020 to Joe Biden. Uh, I believe over the weekend a poll came out which showed him leading in at least five of six of them which is where I want to kind of segue to next. The last topic I want to talk to you about, we had Dr. Ben Carson on the show. Second time we had him on the show, he's become a great friend of Steak for Breakfast. He's got a really great team working for uh, him over at the Institute, which also provides a lot of information and education out to the American people on, on maintaining you know, our, our republic here in the United States. But he gave Donald Trump his endorsement last week in, in Iowa, and I think it couldn't have come at a better time. In addition to that, you know, you see how this primary field is kind of shaped up and Donald Trump is essentially walking to the Republican nomination where he segued to Joe Biden and the general election a lot on the campaign trail recently. He's also going to have to be taken into heavy consideration uh, picks for probably VP at moving forward. I, I see very few contenders, none in the Republican primary field at this point, you know, based off of the fact that how they ran their campaigns. But when you look at some of the people who optically ran good with Donald Trump, rallies and events that he's participated in with him. I, I think right now, in our opinion here, it's a two-way race between Christy Nome and Dr. Ben Carson. I feel like both of them are going to, in some context, probably serve in the next Trump administration as they both, uh, you know, been extremely loyal to Donald Trump and worked hand-in-hand -hand with them greatly throughout the course of his first term. But after seeing the Ben Carson endorsement go down last week and, and how deeply convicted Ben Carson was in, in giving his endorsement to President Trump, how do you see this all shaking out? Yeah, a couple of quick bullet points for for your listeners. I think number one, uh, you're, you're, it depends on how Virginia goes tonight. You're going to see if if Youngkin actually does prevail in these state legislative races. There's going to be an enormous press boomlet for him tomorrow, right? And the billionaire class is going to bring all of its assets to push him forward. Never you mind that he's already missed the filing dead that deadline for New Hampshire. That doesn't matter. They're, they're going to really push this 11th hour candidacy for, for Governor Youngkin. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, number two, I would say there's real talk in Mar-a-Lago circles about uh, putting Nikki Haley forward as VP for the president. Um, that should make any actual America first supporter of the president uh, hopping mad. Let's use that language. Sure. Um, and I think Nikki Haley is going to try and capitalize on what's going on in the Near East uh, with Israel and Gaza uh, to push those sort of foreign policy credentials, she claims. And she's going to look to consolidate the forever war, you know, never Trumper uh, wing of the party at the same time as playing footsie with whoever's being uh, her advocate over there in Mar-a-Lago. So I, I keep an eye on that. And then the other thing I would say is those polls you named, um, they are really interesting. The two things, one, okay, two things, one that's being mentioned by the national press extensively and one no one has talked about. The thing that's being mentioned by the national press is they really want to emphasize this idea that there's a six to 8% fluctuation in the president's support level depending upon the outcome of the prosecutions. So, yeah, he's leading in five of the six states, but that's, you know, assuming that he beats these investigations slash prosecutions. But if he doesn't, then upwards of 8% of those voters may go elsewhere. Now, here's the thing. They don't tell you where that 6 to 8% is. It could all be in Wisconsin. It could be spread out uh, over such small infinitesimal margins. It wouldn't matter. 
Um, I, I think that's something to keep a, an eye on. Just, you know, again, a smell test for the media. They're pushing the narrative and they're trying to, to do a head fake on a low information voters. The one thing that's not being talked about are those early polls because we're a year out, but those early polls out of Nevada. I mean, the president is clobbering Joe Biden in a state that he never polled. And the president did not win Nevada in either 16 or 20. For him to be up by over 10 points now in Nevada is a very strong sign of exactly how unhappy people are with Joe Biden and how anxious they are to see Donald Trump back in the White House. So I, I think those are some of the things that folks should be looking for as this race progresses. But I think on the whole, you're right. Uh, the way that the, the primary field has consolidated and sort of the anemic, almost embarrassingly incompetent campaigns that have been run by the president's competitors is a real sign of President Trump's strength uh, and also probably the need to look elsewhere for, for VP considerations. No, that's the kind of way we see it shaking out, and we're obviously going to keep uh, keeping track on all that stuff as well. Theo, this is great. Been having you on the show again today. You know, it's it's been a while since you've been on. We know you got young family and and, and a lot of travel. You're doing a lot of great work at, with your fellowship at the Claremont Institute, and we just can't thank you enough for taking some time to uh, spend with us. Listen, make a little time for us in December. I think our listenership really likes when uh, you come back, and we'd be more than happy to welcome you next month as well. We're going to live link your page in the Claremont Institute. Uh, but anybody that wants to find you on social media, where can they check you out? At Real Theo World on, on Twitter. Absolutely fantastic and fantastic sitting down with this guy today. This is former Deputy Assistant to President Trump. He did a lot of work up on Capitol Hill. Mr. Theo Wold, thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of the week. Thanks for having me, guys. Great to have you back today, Noah. Good to be back. Sad you won't be here on Friday. Good to be gone again. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and want to hear the now nearly 290 other editions of the show, just be following us across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. As long as it's downloading to your device, we're all good here. And then across social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram, find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow them, and hit the notification bell. We want to thank all of our guests for coming down and sharing with us today. Congressman Andy Ogles, Ralph Norman, and Josh Rakeen. And former Deputy Assistant to President Trump, Theo Wold. You guys all helped make steak great again. And guys, don't worry. It's going to be a busy week. We've got the Trump rally tomorrow. We've got the deposition of David Weiss up on Capitol Hill. And whatever else news breaks that we'll be covering on our Friday edition of the show. In addition to that, we have a great slate of guests coming in as well. Miss MAGA Inc. herself, Caroline Levitt, will be here. Our first time sitting down with Jeffrey Clark. Colonel Douglas McGregor will be back. And I'm going to say it. Lauren Bobert will be here as well. So on behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. And take care. Compliment a woman. Tell if you'll excuse me. Do you know who I am? No, I, I can't say that I do. I don't know how to put this, but kind of a big deal. Really? People know me. Well, I'm very happy for you. I'm very important. Uh, I have many leather-bound books and my apartment smells of rich mahogany. I-